get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. For the dominoes to fall correctly here, do you think the the Tarasenko move will coincide with everything else? I think that Doug has to take care of that first and then everything else following that. Because the $7.5 million or whatever you can get off of your salary cap helps you recognize what your offer can be for a Landis Cog or an offer sheet or yeah. what you can maybe offer a Matthew Kachuk after you trade for him, something like that. That was former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers on the fast lane yesterday, and we are thrilled, absolutely thrilled, on a day in which he has got to be the busiest man on earth. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, ladies and gentlemen, is in studio with us for the next hour to take all of your Blues questions. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you guys have some questions, we'll get to those coming up at 1145. Tanner Hendrickson is here. JR, let's start with what we just heard from Jamie Rivers. And also, thank you so very much for hopping in with us today. Good to be here. Do you agree that everything kind of starts with Tarasenko? That's the first domino in all of these moves that are going to take place for the Blues this offseason. I, I do, and I don't know that that means that Tarasenko's the first transaction that's going to happen, but everything that's being thought about is with Tarasenko in mind. So, you know, you could make a trade today with Vince Dunn that doesn't involve Tarasenko, but it's with the mindset of what are we going to do with Vladdy. So as I was saying there in the crossover, BK, just a ton of things that could happen here that will break down for the next hour. Uh, But uh, do you protect Vladdy Tarasenko? If you do, is that a sign that you perhaps have a trade that's going to take place after the draft? Maybe there's a team, one of Vladdy's teams that says, we need to get through the draft. We have our protected list put together already. We can't add Vladdy to that list. Let's try to make this deal afterwards. Then maybe Doug protects him. If not, maybe Doug's in a situation where he says to Seattle, we'll sweeten the pot, take Vladdy off the books. Here's the deal. Let's get it done. And that could happen this weekend. So just so many different directions this could go. So let's start start kind of wide, and then we'll get more specific with Vladdy. Where are we at right now with him? It seems like it is, based on your reporting over at The Athletic, people should read all of it. It's been unbelievable. You won't find better information anywhere on the Vladimir Tarasenko situation, the Blues in general, frankly, than you will over on The Athletic. Subscribe over there. Support good work. 
with Vladdy, it feels like we are officially to the point of no return at the very minimum. Like he, he he's not going to be back with the Blues next year. He's going to be traded at some point this offseason. Where are we at in this process, do you think? Do you think we are closer to the beginning stages of Vladdy getting traded? Or do you think we are nearing an end point at some point? Well, first of all, let's... Uh... Let's hit the reset button and say where we are. We all know that Vladimir Tarasenko has requested a trade. That happened, I believe, before he went over to the World Championships in Latvia. It became public recently. And now it's a situation where, you know, sources that I spoke to, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko was uh, upset, disappointed, whatever word you want to use with the first two surgeries. Uh, we also mentioned the uh, the loyalty factor with naming Ryan O'Reilly the captain instead of Vladimir Tarasenko. He felt like there was a little loyalty. Uh, and the biggest thing is the trust. So, we got to a point where Vladimir Tarasenko felt like he needed to be traded. He wanted out. We know that that much. Now I think it's to the point where, uh, yes, we can say with 100% certainty that he won't be back. I think from Vladdy's perspective, he doesn't want to come back because of the factors we just mentioned. And I think from the Blues perspective, you know, the questioning of the medical staff, so on and so forth, uh, they're going to move Vladdy Tarasenko before the season starts. So where are we at in terms of are we at the beginning? Are we at the end? You know, I don't think we're at the beginning anymore because of what we just described. But I think we could see something happen Today, tomorrow, before the trade freeze at 2 p.m., we could see something. You're going to have a freeze through the expansion draft. We could see something happen next week. Uh, I think we'll see something sooner than later. And when I say sooner, I include both the front end and the back end of the expansion draft. I'm not saying something will happen today. I just think we'll see something happen in that stretch before we'll wait till August and we're still waiting for a Tarasenko trade. So how does Seattle play into all of this? I guess is the next question, right? Because you mentioned it. Do you consider sweetening the pot? This is something that Doug Armstrong seemed very against when he was dealing with the Vegas expansion draft. He did not want to incentivize them to take somebody or to incentivize them not to take somebody. Is that changing this time around in your opinion? Do you get the sense that he would like them to take Vladimir Tarasenko. And just to kind of give the caveat here, one thing that that does is it eliminates the full salary slot from the Blues cap sheet. They then would get that full $7.5 million to work with this year. If that's the priority, if the priority is exclusively getting rid of that money from the salary sheet, it could make some sense. Do you get the sense, though, that he is interested in doing that this time around. Yeah, you set the table well, BK, because people might remember from 2017 when you had the Vegas draft. You know, I was uh, interviewing Doug Armstrong prior to that draft, and he said, I'm not giving up assets to make a deal with the Vegas Golden Knights to take somebody. And they lost David Perron as a result. He might have had some conversations with Vegas to not take Perron, but he didn't want to give up an asset. And so, you know, a lot of general managers have learned how it worked over the past couple of years and, and, and have made some changes. I personally feel that Doug Armstrong still doesn't want to make that type of deal, doesn't want to give up assets. You look at the Blues, you know, cupboard, and, and there just isn't a lot to give up. So if you're giving up a first-round pick for Seattle to take Vladdy off your hands, you might be better off trying to trade him for something different after the draft or, or even before the draft. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is BK Seattle isn't on Vladdy's list of teams. So after the expansion draft, Doug Armstrong loses that ability to move him to Seattle. So let's say nothing happens between now and the draft. Seattle takes someone else. 
Well, now that list is what Vladdy gave him, whether it's 10 teams or now whatever. Now Vladdy has more leverage. Has more leverage, has to deal with those teams. Now, it could get to a point where if this drags on and Vladdy knows his only way of leaving is to approve a trade somewhere else, then he'll eventually have to add teams to that list if, if that's what it comes to. But that's why it's so important leading into this 2 p.m. trade freeze tomorrow. So what do you think the priority is? When, when you talk with people, sources that you've had discussions with, do you get the sense that the priority is to eliminate that salary slot? Because that's $7.5 million. The Blues could get a lot done with that money, whether it be going into free agency, making a trade for somebody else, using that for multiple pieces to add to the depth of the roster, whatever it is that they determine that they wanted you would do with it. You can make a lot happen there. Is that the priority, or do you think they're prioritizing the return, whether it be in draft pick assets or in a player or players? Uh, what do you think the priority is for the well, Blues? And that's where all this gets really complex, because as I've written, the Blues are in a situation where they believe the cup window is open now, the championship window is open now. So can you trade Vladdy Tarasenko for draft picks and free up the $7.5 million and then go help yourself by using that money on other players? You can, theoretically, but where's the guarantee that you can go get those players? You can free up the money and say, we're going to go get Landeskog, and then Landeskog re-signs you know, in Colorado. Or asks for a no-move clause and $9 million per year, and now yeah. it's like, well, maybe we don't want Gabriel Landeskog at that. Yeah, and, and so now you have this nice prospect or this nice draft pick that you got from Tarasenko, but who's going to help you? Uh, win this year so I think that's kind of what the situation is but you know as I look at it and I'm not in these conversations uh, with Armstrong and, and the other general managers is you know is there a player out there that a team is going to trade you that's of semi-equal value to Vladdy Tarasenko I'm not sure that player is out there and can he help you come in and win I don't know that that's possible so perhaps the best route and this is what we we've been talking about is to free up that cap space as much as you can the one thing is our team's going to make a trade with you and take on that entire 7.5 I think that's been the biggest question the last 10 days or so is how much salary could or would the Blues retain and over the years Doug Armstrong he's never had a buyout as far as I can remember, you know, they're not necessarily paying 40, 50% retained yeah. salary on a lot of guys that they've had on their roster over the past couple of years. The Blues don't want to be paying guys not to play for them. That happens around the league. It doesn't happen in St. Louis, but I think this situation is so unique, they might have to. It's interesting because if if you go into the offseason and your plan is to get all of that $7.5 million off of the cap sheets and then you come to the realization, I'm guessing they know this by now. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm guessing they probably have a pretty good indicator one way or the other. If you eventually have to pay 50% of it and now instead of removing $7.5 million from the books, you're removing $3.5 million from the books. Well, that completely alters what your plans are going to be for the offseason, right? It does, but if you're taking three or four million bucks off the books and you don't bring back Jaden Schwartz, which you know adds to the further complexity yeah. of this, you know, if he was gonna cost you five, now you've got that extra three from Tarasenko, now you've got eight. Does that get you Landeskog? Does that get you Kachuk? Does that get you somebody that we're not thinking about? Um, those are all the balls that are in the air. It's a lot. And I'm, I do not envy being in Doug Armstrong's spot right now. He's got a million different things that I would imagine are going through his head today. And he's got a bunch of different general managers that he's trying to deal with who are all playing poker. And they're all trying to get a little leverage on Army. Army's trying to gain some leverage in a situation where he lost a little bit of it when this became public. 
It's 11-12, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We're going to talk a lot more about everything that's going on with the Blues right now, where their priorities lie, what Vince Dunn's status is right now with the Blues. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, I think there's two names that we've heard the most of this offseason, both of which are blue chip players, Gabriel Landeskog and Matthew Kachuk. Are they putting all of their eggs in those two baskets for the top line left wing spot? We'll talk about that with JR coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You know, it's hard to visualize the Colorado Avalanche going into next season without their captain, Gabriel Landeskog. But I'm also told that the two sides are not even close in their negotiations to extend Landeskog with the Avalanche. Now, the position of the Colorado Avalanche is going to have to change significantly, according to sources. Or, absolutely, Gabe Landeskog will go to market. Early in the process, there's no doubt about that. But the position on both sides doesn't look very strong right now. That was Darren Drager the other day on TSN talking about the possibility that Gabriel Landeskog hits free agency. I'll be honest, JR, and with Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you had told me a month and a half ago that we would be here where Gabriel Landeskog appears to legitimately be preparing to hit the open market, I would have been like, that's crazy. There's no way. How does that happen? This is a guy that's the captain of a legit Stanley Cup contender. He is a part of what is probably the best line in the NHL. The Avs are going to find a way to get this done. Now, maybe they still do, but it's feeling more and more realistic that he's an actual candidate to be out on the market and somebody that the Blues could realistically go out and acquire. Does it feel that way to you now? Yeah, and before we get into it, I think we need to uh, throw out there the pandemic. I think the flat cap changed a lot. Look at Alex Petrangelo's situation, who a year ago, year and a half ago, would have thought that Alex Petrangelo would be moving on. And I know that was a decision made by both sides, but still money was a factor when the cap doesn't go up. Remember, pre-pandemic, the week before, in fact, BK, the league came out and said that the cap uh, could go up to 84, yep. 88 million, and it didn't. So I think teams are feeling squeezed. I think they're they're making tougher decisions in the case with Landeskog look he's he's the captain he's you know the leader of that team along with McKinnon and then also in the last couple of years they've seen the rise of Cal McCarr and they know that they're going to have to to pay him so I think that's what's probably changed their outlook on Landeskog the other thing we have to keep in mind is this is all posturing on both sides look the deadline isn't until tomorrow in terms of uh the trade freeze and the protected lists being due, and then, you know, things can resume next week. Uh, But with Landeskog, you're hearing that the team uh, wants to pay him 5 to $6 million on an eight-year max deal where the player, if he could go to free agency, I think uh, Andy Strickland reported that uh, he could want as much as 8 or $9 million. And, you know, of course, the agent, the, their camp, they're going to say that because uh, it, it's possible to get that somewhere. Uh, but in this cap era, like we just talked about, 81.5, that's going to be tough for him to get that. It's going to be a, a ton of money because there's, I mean, earlier today I was reading from your colleague Pierre Lebrun. He said as many as 12 teams could be interested or or could be interested and have the type of team that Gabriel Landeskog would be interested in going to. That's going to be a lot of teams vying for his services, and the Blues will certainly be one. Joe, this is what I wanted to ask you, because we've talked so much this offseason from basically the moment when the Blues were eliminated to where we are today about Landeskog and Matthew Kachuk. 
because it's very clear if you're looking for it's kind of like the the Cardinals last offseason. We were looking for the spot where they could realistically upgrade their lineup. And I was like, well, third base. Third base is the spot. That's where they could go. And oh, by the way, there's this one guy that seems to be available in Nolan Arenado. Of course, that's the deal. That's the one, whether it's now or next year, that you have to go make. And eventually it was made. For the Blues, it's kind of that puzzling and piecing things together the, the same way where, okay, you need a top-line left winger. The best guys that could be available are Gabriel Landeskog and Matthew Kachuk. So we've talked about them all offseason. Do you get the sense that the Blues are honing in on those two in particular and those are their top two options clearly and they're going to exhaust those two options before they move on to other ideas? In my mind, they are. I'm sure they have other players on their board because it's going to be difficult. Let's uh, let's look at history for one second. And Doug Armstrong has been successful building this roster and building it into a, a championship roster for one reason in particular. The guys he's gone after in the past are guys that there weren't a ton of teams in on them, so he didn't have to pay a steep price. Let's name one, Jay Bollmeister. The Blues were long rumored to go after Jay Bollmeister. They brought him in. They didn't have to compete with a bunch of teams to try to get his services. Let's look at another one, Braden Shen. There weren't teams beating down Philadelphia's door to go get Braden Shen, but he had his pro scouts watching him, and they liked Shen for a long time. They were able to make that deal. Ryan O'Reilly, let's go back to that deal. How many people were in on Ryan O'Reilly trying to pry him out of Buffalo? Not many. That's why the Buffalo Sabres had to circle back and come back to the Blues and say, let's make a deal. So that's what makes this situation with Landeskog and Kachuk a little bit different because right now we know that half the league would be in on Landeskog, if possible, and then also Kachuk. He isn't necessarily on the market. He could be on the market, but there's been a lot of rumors here in St. Louis because of him being from St. Louis. And I think it's a situation where if it's known that he were available, the Blues are going to have a lot of competition. So that's where it gets tough because we ask the question, should the Blues be putting all their eggs in the baskets of Landeskog and Kachuk? You can. You have to express interest. You have to get involved. Maybe Landeskog tells himself, I really want to play with Ryan O'Reilly and I'll take $2 million less to go to St. Louis. You know, maybe Calgary says, we like the Blues trade package. We're going to make that deal. So you have to get involved. You can't do both, right? No. Just, just to kind of put the, put this out there. Like, I, the idea sounds amazing, but then you look at the real realistic possibilities. Like, Landeskog's going to cost you, let's say, $8 million per season. You're going to eventually have to re-sign Ryan O'Reilly. You've got to re-sign Pareko here in the not-too-distant future. Kachuk's going to need another contract after next year, and it's going to be eight plus million dollars per year. You, you can't get both of these guys, right? Listen, if you did, they'd start sculpting that Armstrong <laughs> statue outside the Enterprise Center. I don't think so, and it's funny you say that because I got a chuckle out of that last night when I saw it on Twitter. Why can't the Blues just go get uh, both of these guys? And you know that'd be like getting Goldschmidt and Arenado, huh? <laughs> yeah, they've done that too. Uh, it'd be like getting Trevor Story yeah. and Arenado, really. Um, okay, so if you can't get both. Who do you prioritize if you're in Doug Armstrong's shoes? Like, not asking you which one do you think they will do, because I don't know if we know that or not. Maybe you do. Who do you think they would prioritize? What, which which option do you exhaust first? Well, first, I think that they'd take either one of them. I think if they had an opportunity to get either one of them, uh, they'd they'd go after it in a heartbeat. Uh, I think Landeskog brings you the skill, the leadership, and a little bit of physicality. And then uh, Kachuk, we know what, what he brings. He's got a, a ton of skill as well as uh, dropping the gloves and sticking up for his team and heart and soul. He just brings that identity, I think, that the Blues are lacking. Um, you know, So it's, it's a little bit of a coin flip. The one thing, as you look at the situation, is one is a potential free agent. The other 
is a, a trade chip in terms of if Calgary wants to move him. You have more in control, Doug Armstrong does, to make a trade than you do going after a free agent. You can feel like you're in the hunt with Landeskog. You can be talking to his agent, said, yeah, he really likes you. And and so you clear the Tarasenko contract and you, you make some other moves and you pencil Landeskog. You know, Doug Armstrong's got a, a, a racer board in his office and he's got Landeskog written in that left wing spot. And then all of a sudden, Somebody tweets out, Landeskog signs with uh, the New York Rangers, and, and that idea is done. With the Kachuk situation, you have the ability to, to be a little bit more in control, offer more of a package if you want. And, and BK, I think that there's been a lot of speculation about Kachuk coming to St. Louis. Is it going to happen this summer? We don't know. Everybody who's analyzed the situation feels that next summer probably makes more sense for everybody. But what if Calgary decides... What if Calgary decides, you know what, if we hold on to him for another year and we know he's not coming back long term, we've got to do something now because next summer teams are going to know we have to move him. We're not going to get as much for him. So as I've reported, Calgary is not on Tarasenko's list. Would he go there? He eventually might if the Blues can't find a deal and he does want to get moved. But if he doesn't and he won't go to Calgary, is there the possibility of a three-team trade? And I do think that that possibility Exists. It would be the framework of something like Kachuk coming to St. Louis. Perhaps Tarasenko goes to Washington, and perhaps Yevgeny Kuznetsov goes to Calgary. I think Calgary really wants offense. They really want an identity. He's a center uh, from the Washington Capitals, a lot of offensive upside. I think the other piece in that deal could be Vince Dunn going to Calgary to make you know that hole in terms of Calgary's side of the deal. Uh, but, you know, this is just spitballing, but I just want to throw out there, I think that possibility exists, and it's all going to depend on does Calgary want to move him this summer or wait, depending on whether they think he's going to stay. So let's start with the Dunn part of this. I feel like there's a million different follow-up questions that I could ask you off this. If Dunn is potentially a key component to this deal, does it need to get done in the next 24 hours? Because Vince Dunn is also a possibility of being drafted in the expansion draft next week, and they need to have that protection list in by tomorrow. And then there's the trade freeze. So if something like that were going to happen with Calgary in this three-way deal, do you think this needs to get done in the next 24 hours? To me, it seems impossible that it could get done in the next 24 hours. I I don't see how. Perhaps it could. But that's where you get into a sticky situation of are you giving up an asset to sweeten the pot and talk Seattle into not taking Vince Dunn or Tarasenko for that matter in the, in the draft, because you want to hang on to Tarasenko and Dunn for a post draft trade, you know, then once you start giving up extra assets to protect those players, maybe that deal then becomes less attractive, whatever the deal is post draft. Cause you, you don't want to give, let's just make this up and say, uh, Ron Francis in Seattle will give you a second round pick not to take Vince Dunn and then you end up trading Vince Dunn for a second round pick it, it doesn't make any sense so to me the only way that Doug Armstrong is is going to do something like that is if he knows that he's got a deal on the table post draft that he can make that involves Tarasenko and Vince Dunn maybe something like I just speculated on and, and turn that around and 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 that then becomes well, who do the Blues lose in the expansion draft? What do they potentially 
use to protect these guys from not getting picked up. So we are less than two weeks away from the start of free agency. And I would imagine Gabriel Landeskog is going to be right at the top of most teams list. And he's probably going to be one of the first guys that comes off the board. I would think maybe after the first few days or so at a very minimum. Do you think that if the blue do the blues basically need to know on Kachuk by then? I guess would be my question, because if they were to sign Landeskog, I would imagine that takes them out of the Kachuk running, right? Because as we mentioned before, you can't have both, or you probably can't have both. So if you sign Landeskog, does that mean the Blues are done with the Kachuk sweepstakes? Well, I think it depends on what happens with the rest of the roster. Have they moved Tarasenko yet? Have they re-signed Schwartz? Those types of things. Yes, I mean, I believe whatever situation develops first is going to be the, the guy one. that they take on you know i'm still having trouble believing that landis Gug's leaving colorado so i'm you know once we get to that point of it you know then that changes things uh, but the other thing is look if uh if if landis Gug decides to go to the market and he leaves colorado you know that opens things up the blues are in contract negotiations with Jaden schwartz i believe schwartz would be a good fit in colorado and probably sees that himself I know another team that could be interested in Schwartz is uh, Toronto, uh, but let's talk about uh, Colorado. He could go there and give them another good defensive forward. He's not going to cost them as much as Landis Gog. And Ray Bennett is a assistant coach there in Colorado, knows all about Jane Schwartz, knows how reliable he is. So there's a bunch of moving parts there. But to answer your question, I think Doug Armstrong operates, I've seen him do this a ton, is whatever's first there, whatever opportunity that he uh, is trying to go after, develops, you've got to jump on it or you could lose it. Because if you have an opportunity to sign Landis Cog and you don't, and he decides to go somewhere else, and then all of a sudden Kachuk stays or gets traded now somewhere else, he lost on both. With Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So let's go down that path for a second. And it's not a fun one, but for Blues fans, if this team were to strike out on both, if somehow some, Gabriel Landeskog decides to re-sign with Colorado before free agency, the Calgary Flames decide, you know what, we're not trading Matthew Kachuk this offseason. Doesn't make sense for us. We're not going to get uh, 100 cents on the dollar. We're not doing this. Then what? Then where do the Blues turn their sights? We'll talk about coming up. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get into some questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Lots of Blues talk with our Blues insider Jeremy Rutherford next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We've got our guy, Jeremy Rutherford, the best blues insider in the country in studio with us for the next 15 minutes or so. Coming up at the top of the hour, Jeremy Offelt, former Giants pitcher, will join us to talk about seeing some of the guys that he played with in the early 2010s getting a resurgence this year. So we'll talk to Jeremy Offelt coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's get into some of your questions. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. JR, what do you think the future holds for Tyler Bozak here in St. Louis? Does he make sense to bring back on a below market value deal? Yeah, I think he's on the back burner right now. The Blues do like him, and I'm sure they'd have interest in bringing him back. Uh, the oldest player on the team last year, 35. But wow, I was really impressed with the way he played and think that he can still help this team but it's just uh you know his situation they've got bigger fish to fry right now so it's probably going to take a, a little while longer but i could see him coming back on a deal whether it's one year or two year and uh you know i'd give the guy two and a half three million but he might come in less than that really 
I mean, with a tight cap, it's tough to give a fourth line guy, third line guy, you know, three million. Uh, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, even if he wants to come in at two, two, five, somewhere in there, I think this would be a good spot for him. That'd be a great deal yeah. if you can get Tyler Bozak back on on something like that. Uh, from the three one four, Jr. Do you think there's any interest in Mike Hoffman from the blue side of things? I think he would make a lot of sense for this team if they decide to move on from Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, even though it wasn't a great fit, I still think he can help this team. I think he would come in and both sides would have an understanding of potentially what the role is. I think from day one, he better be on that number one power play unit, right? From that spot of his where he scored all those goals down the stretch. But I think Mike, uh, you know, he wanted the contract last year. He didn't get it. He's going to want it this year. I think he's going to want some term four or five years and, uh, you know, some decent money. And the Blues probably are talking to him saying, look, just hang tight. You know, we would be interested. And, and he's just going to have to gather his teams and try to uh, to see what's best for him. But in the meantime, the Blues have to pursue those other guys that we talked about. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. JR, we've heard all about Jamie Alexiak. I know that's <laughs> that's our, our guy here on the show. Are there any other defensemen out there that you think the Blues should or would have interest in? Well, one that popped up this week uh, unexpectedly, Ryan Suter from the Minnesota Wild. And I know I've touched on him in, in previous articles, but I have heard just some scuttlebutt that the Blues would be interested. Y- you have to be. He's a minute muncher. He's a guy with a ton of experience. He'd bring uh, leadership back to the to, to the blue line. And I think that he would play well with Colton Pareko. Could you imagine, imagine Suter and, and Pareko? But the only way it works is we have to see what happens this weekend. You know, is Vince Dunn taken from the Blues? Um, do the Blues entertain the idea of, of trading Marco Scandella? Is there a, a team out there that would be interested in Scandella? And then also, Suter, as we touched on with the other players, he's going to have plenty of options. Reports that uh, as many as 10 or 12 teams have already uh, probably reached out through the grapevine at Ryan Suter. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 618. JR, we've heard all about the teams that Vladimir Tarasenko is interested in. How many teams, from your understanding, have shown interest in Vladimir Tarasenko? Right now, I think it boils down to two or three, and some others are... Uh, investigating. I I think that the New York Rangers, even though they don't make a ton of sense, they got a lot of wingers. They've got some guys that they need to unload. Chris Kreider's got that long deal. Uh, They'd probably have to unload that. The Rangers are a team that I've heard. The New York Islanders, a team that's been on the cusp of getting into the Stanley Cup final each of the last two years. They could use a guy like Tarasenko. I think the uh, the interest is is mutual there. And then also Washington. Washington continues to persist as a a team that could be interested. Again, that uh, one-for-one swap with Kuznetsov being a possibility or that three-team trade possibility that we talked about earlier. I think another team that's kind of checking into the situation is the the Los Angeles Kings. Are they in on everybody? I feel like like I've seen the Kings connected to every single player that could be available this offseason. Yeah, and they've got a young up-and-coming team. I know they've got some uh, older guys, obviously guys that won the Cup with uh, Kopitar and Dowdy, uh, those guys, but uh, they've also uh, drafted well, drafted high, so you should draft well, Uh, but they've got some good, young, promising players coming up and kind of going through a little bit of a rebuild there. And, uh, and and they're checking into the idea of, of Tarasenko. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. JR, I've read a lot about Jaden Schwartz and the possibility of him coming back to St. Louis. Do you think it might be good for the team 
and for Schwartz to make a clean break and go their separate ways this offseason. Well, it depends. It always depends on whether who's coming in, who's your replacement. You can say that Jaden Schwartz is streaky and, you know, the Blues and, and him might be better off parting ways, but is that is that with the result of Zach Sanford, your second line left winger next year? Who is that going to be? If it's a Kachuk, if it's a Landeskog, yeah, sure, maybe you, you make that move. But, you know, I know Doug Armstrong, you're always careful about pushing a guy out the door if you don't know yet who you have to uh, replace him. So, look, is Jaden Schwartz a top-line left winger who's guaranteed to score 25? He has done that in his career, and I think, you know, if he plays well, he's capable of 20 or 25, but we just haven't seen it on a regular basis. So, to me, if you can get Jaden Schwartz at 4-5, five, 5, and maybe on a five-year deal, something like that, I think he's worth coming back. You just don't expect him to you know, play on that top line. We've had, I think, no fewer than 37 texts about Taylor Hall. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about Taylor Hall's chances of... I, I think everything that I've read is that he's going to end up back in Boston, but what do you think of his chances of actually hitting the market, and do you think he would be a fit here in St. Louis? Gosh, you just wonder, you hit the rewind button, and you go back to in time when the Blues had a chance to get Taylor Hall from Edmonton. I believe that it would have centered on uh, Kevin Shattenkirk agreeing to go to the Edmonton Mm -hmm. Oilers long term. He didn't want to do that. He wanted his kick at the can, and so uh, they couldn't make that deal. And now Taylor Hall has moved on a couple times. Uh, he's gone to uh, Buffalo. He's gone to, to Boston. He's gone to New Jersey. And he's a really good player. But uh, I'm with you. Everything I've read and heard, and I don't have any true insight on Taylor Hall, but it appears that all signs point to him going back to Boston. They've got plenty of cap space, and he loved it there. He played well. This is an interesting one. It's something that I know Jamie Rivers talked about yesterday on the fast lane, and we've talked about it a little bit as well. JR, what effects did the no movement clause with um alex petrangelo have on him moving forward and could that be an issue for the blues this offseason with some of their top targets yeah so twofold here i think the answer to the first question is this did the no movement clause that petrangelo didn't get in st louis lead to him not coming back it it played a role but what people have to understand is the stalemate in the negotiations and the way things kind of happen behind the scenes It got to a point where when a deal didn't get done leading up to free agency, it was just time to move on and it didn't work. And Doug Armstrong realized that. He went out and got Tory Krug. If we had Alex Petrangel in this room right now and said, is the reason you're not here because of a no movement clause? He would say, yeah, you know, not really. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. There were just so many things. It's so multifaceted. But to answer the second part of the question, I think at some point, who knows how long Doug Armstrong will be, the St. Louis general manager, who knows how long he'll he'll be in the league, probably a long time. Uh, at some point, he's going to have to give somebody a no movement. He, he, it, it's just the way the league goes. But I will say this. If you're Doug Armstrong, BK, and you're looking at all this news around the league, and we don't expect to have ex- expansion draft in two more years again, but look at all the news about... Oh, trying to get this guy to wave his no move, you know, so we can expose him to Seattle. Trying to get this guy to to wave it. There's a lot of problems around the league that Doug Armstrong doesn't have to deal with right now because he didn't issue these. That's true. Um, but it can also make you miss out on your captain or miss out on potentially Gabriel Landeskog. So it, it is a double-edged sword, but you're right. He, he doesn't have to worry about some... One thing that Doug Armstrong has done a great job is avoiding the contract that just completely ruins their cap sheet. Something like what's happening in Minnesota right now. He hasn't signed that deal where seven years in, you realize, oh my God, this is a disaster. There's no way out other than buying this guy out. And that's going to 
we're going to pay those two players. I think it's like $8 million yeah. in 2024. Like that That's 10% of your cap. That's a problem for you if you're Minnesota. He hasn't had that, which is good. But I'm going to be fascinated to see as more and more of these teams continue giving out these no movement clauses where the Blues go on that. Yeah, could he have given Alex Petrangelo one? Yes. Should he have given one to Alex Petrangelo? He probably could have, and perhaps he'd still be here. But let me throw this your way. If you have Landis Gog on the phone and he says, hey, Doug, I want to come there. I'm going to come at uh, you know six, seven years, and I'm going to come at $7 million. I need the no move. You give it to him? You have to, right? This yep. team is at a crossroads where they need that type of player because they've already got their championship window open, according to you know, their own, uh, you know, talk. And then you have a situation where these guys, Shen, Falk, Krug, they're only going to get older and get to the backside of those deals where they might look a little ugly. And and so I think if uh, Landeskog comes in and says, I need the no move, then he's the type of guy you'd have to give it to. You don't want 2021 to be a transition year. Can't be. That That's the thing is if, if you don't give it to a Gabriel Landeskog and Kachuk's unavailable this year, and now you have to go to your backup plans. Well, suddenly 2021 could look like a transition year until you can get that Kachuk deal done next offseason, potentially. And that means that Ryan O'Reilly's a year older, Braden Shin's a year older. I think about what we were talking about with the Blues 18 months ago and how much can change in that amount of time. Well, that's what you'd be doing. You'd run the risk of 18 months from now. What does the team look like? You just don't know. You've got to take advantage of these years when you have them. Super pivotal season to me. And we can say that every year, and I get it. But here's the thing. If if the Blues are so-so this year, let's just say borderline playoff team, what does that mean? That means that some of those core guys didn't play well, the Shins, those types of guys. Well, guess what? Now we're going into the following year. The Blues are another year removed from being a contending team, right? And as you just mentioned, now the O'Reillys and the Shins and these guys are 30, 31, pushing 32, David Perron's 35. Now you're talking seriously about what do we do? So if there's a move out there to be had that's going to make this team a true contender, that's what Doug Armstrong has to do. Last thing for you, JR. Anything that we didn't talk about today <laughs> that you think needs to be said, whether it be in relation to the expansion draft, the protection list, Vladimir Tarasenko, other options that are out there that you think might be of interest to the Blues. Is there anything we did not? On today that you think we need to touch on before you get out of here you know what you got me with my own question here because every time i do an interview that's the question that i throw out to somebody and i'm kind of bummed out when they don't have anything <laughs> so now you have me in a situation where i'm bummed out at myself for not having too much no you and and the listeners did a great job of coming up with a, a ton of things that that's the biggest thing is look i can make as many calls as i want some of them get returned some of them don't i can try to give you the most informed Uh, report speculation that I can but as I sit here we just don't know how things are going to turn out and so we get off the air something could happen this afternoon we'll do our best uh, to bring it to you but I can't remember a time in in which these things could just pivot so many different ways like we could be talking on Monday BK you know about Tarasenko being gone about a Kachuk trade getting close so many different ways this thing could go but i think we uh, analyzed it as best we could for now well jr we appreciate you hopping in man thanks so much for spending an hour with us i know you're unbelievably busy right now so thanks for giving us a little bit of time today all the best we'll be reading your work over at the athletic we'll be following you on twitter at jp rutherford for all the latest blues information busy i'm gonna be at lunch <laughs> yeah enjoy it man <laughs> that's jeremy rutherford again find his work over at the athletic huge thanks to him for hopping in studio with us for an hour coming up next jeremy Offelt won a couple world series with the giants now his old buddies are doing it once again we'll talk to him about it next on 101 espn 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie, and we are very happy to go out to the Brownie and Crouppen celebrity line. The Cardinals are opening up the second half against the Giants, and right now we're talking to three-time World Series champion with the Giants, a 14-year career as a pitcher in the big leagues. He is Jeremy Offel joining us via the Brownie and Crouppen celebrity line. Jeremy, we appreciate the time today, man. If I understand this correctly based on your Instagram account, are you in Wyoming right now watching bed races? <laughs> I, I am. I, I'm. I'm a, I, there's this uh, thing in Sheridan, Wyoming, called Rodeo Week, and uh, I'm just kind of on a road trip, just kind of hanging out, just and driving back across the country, doing some hiking and uh, some mountain biking, just some adventure stuff. And so I decided to stop at this parade here for Rodeo Week. There's a rodeo tonight. I'm going to go to, and they they literally were doing bed races down the street it was awesome can it was, you explain I, I, I that because our, like our listeners i'm sure are hearing something called bed races and they're like what the hell is that can you explain to me what this yeah. is because i'm trying to understand it myself as i'm watching this video yeah it's the, so they go two at a time and they make so it's a parade so right before the parade starts these people take these beds and you got to have one person i think it, i think you have to have one person on the bed driving and then you have four guys or girls on each post of the bed, and all the beds are on wheels, and they push it, and they just race. But the other person has to steer it through these two beds racing down, and uh, it's funny. They're wearing all kinds of weird outfits, and 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 it's it's just it was just it was it seems simple, but it was actually kind of like man, this is actually really entertaining. You know, just watching these kids just fly down there and they're trying not to hit each other on the street it, it's super funny people are cheering it, it's pretty it's pretty good so uh it's just something you know i got come to these little towns like this and it's just super awesome with for me the reason i maybe get the biggest smiles because everybody's so been so cooped up obviously this covid scenario and just seeing these little towns open up again and the excitement of people just enjoying being outside and being a community is super thrilling for me so i, I was just kind of I just had a biggest smile on my face when I was next. Like, this is awesome. Like, people are just having a great time. So, that's amazing. It, it looks like a blast on your uh, Instagram account. People can follow you on yeah. Instagram, by the way, at your name, Jeremy Offel, A F F E L D T. Hey, Jeremy, if I'm reading this correctly, did you open up a brewery within the last year as well down in Texas? I did. I started a, a brewery down there in Bernie. Uh, we're right on Main Street. I'm super excited. We're doing the build out right now, so we're not open yet. We've been. Uh, uh, we will be hopefully. I'm. I'm. I'm thinking right now. It'll be Labor Day is when we're going to have a soft opening. We'll, we're still figuring out our grand opening, but I'm really excited for for this next chapter. I, I've just really grown to. Like I said, I'm a big community guy, and I have just so grown to appreciate a good brewery and what it does to a community. What it just the fun, the fun uh, aspect of it, and how how we can get uh, a a, um, a beer made, uh, and and have a bunch of people just enjoying what it does, and people from everywhere just come together, they hang out, they talk about life, they talk about the ups and downs, and I just appreciate that, and and I I really got into it in San Francisco because I do a fundraiser every year for my nonprofit, and it's done at a brewery. And just to see the amount of people that come together and the guys and all the guy, the players come and pour beers and sign autographs for fans. And 
and just to see what it does to a community was awesome. And then I was, I got to actually make a beer with the brewer for my fundraiser. So I kind of got into it and uh, and it was a give back situation. And I just got this, what I, I, I just got this idea in my head of what if I, I like podcasting. I love doing interviews. And what if I put a live podcast in a brewery and all the beer has each beer has a cause attached to it. And 10% of the sales of, of each of these beers goes to that cause doing live podcasts, creating conversation within the brewery and, and, and people listening and talking about what we're talking about. And I just, in my head, it just got so awesome. And, and I did it. I pulled actually the one of the master brewers out of 21st amendment out of San Francisco, one of the top breweries in the country, one of the managers there, it said he'd come on board too. They moved to Bernie, moved their families. We just got approved uh, in the last, uh, about the last 20 days for not only our beer, um, license, but also we were officially approved as a, as a uh, brewery in Texas, and so it's happening, and I'm super excited for it. Man, that's awesome. That's a super cool story. Do you, do you have, I don't know if you've been to St. Louis and a bunch of the breweries that are out here, but do you have a favorite, whether it's a brewery in St. Louis or just in general that you've been to? Uh, you know, I didn't know of many. You know, we were playing downtown. I just didn't, yeah, you know, it wasn't something I thought of that much when I was sure. playing. I'd love to. I'm starting to check them out. I've been. That's what I've been kind of doing uh, these last few weeks is driving around the country, just checking out how their breweries do things, you know, their looks and stuff like that. And I, like right now, I'm at a place in Sheridan, Wyoming called Black Tooth Brewery, and it has one of the best hazy uh, IPAs I've ever had. And it's just a really, it's a really cool deal. So I've been talking to them. You know, I, I've been into, you know, obviously Montana has a lot of them uh, going on there too. And, and so I've, I've been to several, uh, but I would say, man, honestly, one of, one of my favorites was in Astoria, a place called St. George Brewery. It, it, it is awesome. And, and it's my first time I ever had a, had a hazy actually. Uh, 21st Amendment uh, uh, with the water. They have a famous beer called Watermelon Beer and stuff like that. So that's in San Francisco. is one of my favorite breweries in the country. Uh, and then um, I would say that uh, uh, I-, I love St. Louis. I-, I don't know of any in that area, but there's a couple that I've really enjoyed. In, in, uh, and then you got the shoots 10 Barrel mm-hmm. in Bend, Oregon was awesome. I mean, that brewery was incredible. And uh, so I just, it's been great. Uh, so obviously my favorite one's going to be free Rome, which is my, which is my brewery there in Texas, but uh, I'm super excited. And I just, I, I love it. I, it's just become a cool science and I kind of never got breweries at first. And now I'm like, no, I get them, man. It's not, you're not going to crush 25 beers. That's not what you're going there for. You're, you're almost, you're treating it like wine. You know, I just want to different strokes for different folks. And, and, uh, you, you get to know these brewers and what their thoughts are. It's, it's kind of an art. I, I've really come to enjoy that. That's awesome. Well, we got to get you out here to St. Louis cause we got a, a lot of breweries to offer, man. Some of the best ones in the That'd country are out here. Um, Jeremy, yeah. we're talking to Jeremy Affel, 14 year career as a pitcher, three time world series champion with the giants. And Jeremy, that's the number one reason we wanted to have you on. You're doing all, all this cool stuff in your post career playing days, but a bunch of the guys that you played with, with the giants in 2010, 12 and 14, that won those titles with you are once again at it. And they are at the top of the standings in the NL West. Posey, Belt, Crawford, they're all having unbelievable seasons for the Giants. What's it been like for you to be able to watch these guys doing it once again? You know, it's very encouraging. I will tell you this. I did not 
probably expected this year. I was uh, completely caught off guard by it, and I was completely just almost to a point where I was like, I, I didn't. Um, I knew they had a pretty decent offense from last year. I saw the offense. I was like, you know, it's a really good offense. So I think they've got something. I didn't know much about their pitching, really. Um, and the way they've stepped it up has been pretty good. And their starters have done great. Their bullpen was a big question mark for me. Their bullpen was a big question mark for me. And it still is. Um, because I think coming down to the stretch, you're going to have to go get a couple veteran guys that can help with that bullpen, but man, to see the way Buster has bounced back to Crawford having an incredible year, uh, changing his stance this late in his career, it's really tough to get guys to change. And he just kind of opened up a little bit more and he's having, I mean, he had 18 home runs. I mean, I mean, this guy was, is great. Uh, Bell with his knee, I think has been a little bit of a, uh, of a setback, but I, I've just really enjoyed it because these guys have got, they had so much success early in their careers, right? Early. They just got brought up. We're winning world championships. We're winning all the time. For the last couple of years to watch these guys lose wasn't fun, but it was probably needed because as a veteran player to never be a part of a losing situation, you don't really understand who you can actually be as an athlete and nor would you be able to relate with anybody or any anybody if you've never failed so to see these guys um to see these guys i guess just fail like they did run that gauntlet get through it come back bounce back and then pull these the young guys out of it is it would be really really awesome and uh it's been great to see and and to see them winning again they obviously value winning now they probably understand like it's not that easy to win like they've won and now they're winning again and they're probably ah, this is a lot more fun to play this way than the other way but at least we have the ability to help these guys get through some tough moments because we've lived it as well we were not always on top of our game we the bottom of the cellar for a few years we understand what that feels like and now we are getting guys back and i think kapler's done a great job of 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 managing from an analytical standpoint I think he was too anical. I've been pretty harsh on him on the radio on how, how bad he's you, you just been. You're overdoing the analytics. You're not taking in the athlete, the consideration. Uh, now he is. And I think he's done a great job of learning from those failures in Philadelphia and a little bit in San Francisco and understanding you can't go full analytics. You've got to remember they're athletes and they're human beings. And he's used that as kind of like an art piece to kind of mix and match and develop. And he's doing a great job, and it's thri- and the team's thriving, and I think that, that everybody's excited again. I'm excited to watch Giants baseball. I didn't really want to watch it the last few years, so it's been great that way. Hey, final question for you, Jeremy, as, as we uh, appreciate you taking some time with us here today. We're getting close to the trade deadline. We're officially two weeks away from the trade deadline now. You've been on good teams in the past where you, you feel like maybe you, you, you add one piece and you're right there. What is this time like when you're kind of in that middle period of are we a contender? Are we a seller? What's the front office going to do when you're in that clubhouse? What is this time period like for you? Well, this is where we put all the pressure on the front office. Like we can't control whether who they go and get or who they get rid of, but we can. We But as a team, we have an expectation. And as players, you know, when I was with Kansas City, you were losing all the time. You're, it wasn't a you played for the trade in the sense of like, I've got to actually play because I know that there's trade. Maybe I get traded to a good team. You know, maybe I can get sent, you know, make sure the scouts, you play for that. It is a selfish situation for 
for for bottom of the uh, of the seller teams. To be honest with you, and it's not comfortable because you don't want to be a self selfish player. But in the end, you're like, hey man, if I can promote myself as a player that can help somebody, I, I that'd be great. But when you're winning, it's not necessarily about promoting yourself as a seller. You're promoting yourself as a buyer. So you want the team as a team when you go out there. You go out and you win and you win and you, you when that GM walks through your clubhouse, you know every day, or he's out on the field, you're staring at him like, "Hey man, we're putting us, we're putting a lot of pressure on you. Better find somebody." Like we we have a high expectation. Now, if we're doing really really well and everybody's clicking on cylinders, you're like, "We don't need a lot of people. We might need one or two guys." They we know that, and so does the GM, and we we have that ability to say, "We're going to put pressure on you to make sure." That you, we're not doing all this for you, for you to not go help us out. You need to go help us out. And if you know we need a key position player or we need a key pitcher, we're doing everything we can to prove to you as a general manager and the president of the team and the ownership that we're trying to win here. And we're, we're, we're going out every day trying to win. And even if we're winning, we still need a little bit of help. And they know it. You need to go get that guy. And then you leave it to the veteran players to go sit to the GM and be like, hey, you, you better make a move here because we're trying to hold this clubhouse in check and you need to help us out. And some of those veteran guys, you know who they are and you expect them to go talk to the front office. And that's kind of what first place teams do. That middle of the road team, that team that's on the bubble, that's like, oh man, if we, we, we just got a couple other players, hey man, we're at the trade deadline and we need to make sure we hold ourselves within two or three games of first place because we've got to then believe that they're going to go get us a few things to help us out. You, 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 you just keep playing, keep your head down and just keep winning and believing. And, and, and you got to believe that the GM is willing to do that. And the reason we do that is because if we do all of that and you don't go help us out, then we have no problem letting ownership know, letting people know that you didn't want to help us out. So if you don't want to win, then move me next year to someone who does really want to win or, sir, prove to me you want to win. And that's where you have that, that status you know, as a veteran player, but uh, it's a crazy time. And in the end, as a player, you just keep your head down and you play as hard as you can and you go out there and trying to help your team win. And after that, you can't do anything about it, but it, it is an awkward situation of where you're going to be of, and if, if you're going to be there uh, or not. And, and there's a couple of players, they know when they're on the bubble, it, it is definitely a, a, an interesting time mentally for them. He's Jeremy Affelt. You can find him on Twitter. He's doing some really cool stuff in his retirement. He's a three-time World Series champion. Follow him on Twitter at his name, Jeremy Affelt, A-F-F-E-L-D-T. Jeremy, thanks so much for the time today, man. Enjoy your vacation up there in Wyoming, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Jeremy Affel joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's 12:20. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I think what he said there at the very end is really interesting about veteran players basically looking the front office in the eyes and saying to them, hey, we know we can contend, but we need some help in here. I think that's basically where the Cardinals are at at this point. We'll get into that coming up on the other side. The Braves yesterday did what I wish the Cardinals would have done a month and a half ago. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. for 
about a month now about how the Cardinals could really use another starter on their roster. And they need that because of injuries. That's the injury bug bit them in the butt and they didn't have a response to it. Their response was Wade LeBlanc, which has been nice, but he can't do it alone. And then they've continued with this uh, spiral into the abyss of the pitching depth. Well, the Atlanta Braves just had something similar. They lost Ronald Acuna Jr. right before the break, and he's going to be out for the year with the torn ACL. And their response was the opposite of what the Cardinals was. Their response was, oh, we had an issue. We still believe that we can potentially contend this year. We're going to go get somebody that can help us. So they didn't sign minor league outfielders. No, no, they didn't decide to go that route. They didn't try anybody internally. They immediately and urgently decided to go out there and make a trade for Jock Peterson. They sent a high A ball prospect from them, a guy that was the number 12 prospect in their system to the Cubs for Jock Peterson. I don't know if this is going to work or not. I have no idea if the Braves are going to have enough without Ronald Acuna Jr. to be able to make the playoffs this year. Right now, they're a game below 500 and four games back of the Mets. The odds would suggest they're probably going to miss the postseason this year. But I respect the hell out of the fact that they're willing to go for it. I respect the fact that right after this deal was reported, Ken Rosenthal said, hey, they are making this deal with the full understanding that they might end up trading Jock Peterson again. Two weeks from now, if they're out of it, if they're eight games back of the Mets or the Phillies or whomever is in first place in the NL East at that point, they'll probably trade Jock Peterson again to another contending team. That's what I wish the Cardinals would have done. The move that you just saw the Braves make, and it's tougher because pitching is few and far between right now on the open market. But the move that the Braves made was an urgent move that they needed right now to be able to replace some of the production that they lost. Jock Peterson is not Ronald Acuna and never will be Ronald Acuna Jr. But he can give you 60%, maybe 50% of what Ronald Acuna Jr. was, and nobody internally was going to be able to give the Braves that. That's what the Cardinals have been missing. I don't know who that pitcher would have been, but I didn't know that at the time, Willie Adamas was available. These trades come in strange ways when you make something available that is worthwhile for the opposing team to be able to trade with you. The Cardinals missed the mark on it. They were too late on it, and now they're in a a tough spot where what do you do for the next two weeks prior to the deadline when Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis could be back right after that? I don't know. But I wish the Cardinals would have made the move that we just saw the Braves make. Not for an outfielder, but for a pitcher. And the thing with the Cardinals, too, is, again, we don't know who was available, but I'm going to use J.A. Happ as an example. He's a guy that we kind of talked about when the injuries occurred, having a kind of a tough year for Minnesota. Imagine if you acquire J.A. Happ and then things don't turn around, but he turns around. Well, then you might even get more for J.A. Happ at the deadline than what you gave up for him. So, yeah, the fact that the Cardinals kind of said, we're going to solve this internally— and not, and especially not go out and look at free agents too, like a Homer Bailey who was pitching for Team USA at the time. I I kind of understood why they did it. They thought that they had the pitching depth heading into the season. They didn't kind of want to turn back around on that. But at that point in the year, it kind of felt like no, you didn't, and it and it ended up costing them. And I, I, right now, it's been the biggest difference in my mind between them and the Milwaukee Brewers because the Brewers went out and said, we got to address this. Let's try our best. Let's figure out who's available. Turns out Willie Adamas is available. There we go. Now they get the first baseman, and we'll see what he is, Tellez, uh from Toronto. It's been the biggest difference so far between the Cardinals and Brewers, and now we're seeing the Braves try and do this. And it turns back to Mo, and it says, why, why did we wait? I understood why we waited 
it didn't work out. We should have been a little more aggressive, and we'll see what they do going two weeks into the deadline here. I just wish they would have acquired somebody at this point like Jordan Lyles. Like Jordan Lyles not good. He's not a very good pitcher. But over his last four starts, each of them have gone at least six innings, and he's given up two earned runs or fewer. Has something changed for him? Maybe. What if the Cardinals got that version of Jordan Lyles? What if they got him right as he made a little bit of an adjustment that made him look a little better? Beat first place. Exactly. And that's the thing. They just they missed the mark. And it's so frustrating because I believe that this team is good enough to make the playoffs. I really do. And if they're good enough to make the playoffs, they could go on a run given the way that the playoffs are going to shake out this year with the NL West playing each other in the wild card game and then once again playing each other in the NLDS. The Cardinals could have done something special. I still think they might be able to, but they, they Derek Gould did some of the math on this in a recent piece over at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And he basically looked into what did the Cardinals starters do that they expected to be in the rotation coming into the year. So there's three of those guys that are still in there. It's Wright, KK, and Oviedo, I believe, was the third that he used. What have those guys do in their recent turns since Jack Flaherty went down? And what have the other guys done that have cobbled things together with the other two spots in the rotation? The guys that you expected to be in the rotation this year have like a 270 RA since Jack Flaherty went down. The other guys have like a 5-5 ERA. It's not even close. If you could have replaced that, the secondary group of uh, pitchers that have been in there for you, with competence, just Wade LeBlanc type of stuff. If you could have replaced those guys with a solid major league caliber starter, you'd feel so much better about where the Cardinals are and where they're going. And Brad Thompson talked about this yesterday on the fast line. I thought he made a great point about the urgency that the Cardinals need to show now coming out of this all-star break. It's very evident that they're not going to shake up their staff and they're staying steadfast with the group that they have. Well, are you going to continue to go down the same path from a personnel standpoint, though? I think that you have to move and shake a little bit. You have to be able to give yourself more of an opportunity because, and I don't say this with any disrespect to any of the players, but Jake Woodford going down to start at AAA and coming back, he ain't your answer. Wade LeBlanc in your rotation, he can't be your answer for what this second half looks like. And even if you're thinking to yourself, all right, well, we just got to buy time before Jack gets back. Probably got three weeks or a month before Jack gets back. You know, like that, that your season could be won or lost within that period of time. That's what's tough. The Cardinals are trying to buy time without actually buying anything. Like they're, they're trying to continue moving forward and believe that this team's going to be able to keep them in it as long as possible without giving them any reason to believe. You just heard it from Jeremy Affelt, who played for the Giants. He's played on some really good teams in the past. The clubhouse wants you to show them the faith that they deserve. And this team deserves a little bit of faith. And for them not to be able to double down on this rotation in any way, shape, or form, I if you look around in that clubhouse, I've got to imagine those guys are frustrated by that because they're going out there twice every fifth day and feeling like they don't have a chance. And especially, too, because sometimes that we've seen this, it happens early. It happens right off the bat. It's the first or second yeah. inning, and you get that blow-up inning, and it's just like, okay, we got to do this again. we got to play from behind once again because we're not getting uh, quality starts from pitchers. Or not even quality starts, even a, a start to where we feel like we have a chance. Maybe it's three runs in five innings. You're not even getting that sometimes. And, like, I, I thought Wade LeBlanc's looked good. But he had one of those in Chicago where he gave up, I think it was three or four in the first inning or second Because that's inning. Wade LeBlanc. Oh, <laughs> like, we, we had to know that this was coming eventually for no, him. No, no. He's been a great signing. He has given them everything they could have asked for and then some. 
But it's Wade LeBlanc. Like <laughs> what BT just said is absolutely true. This is who he is. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's who Wade LeBlanc is. But yeah, I imagine they are frustrated in that clubhouse because you come into the season and you hear, we, we feel like we've got good pitching depth. And then when it gets hurt, and then it starts to kind of unravel because some of the guys that you thought were going to be better than they have been aren't, you think to yourself, all right, maybe we're going to go make a move. we got to make a move, right? We're, we're struggling here, and then nothing comes. And Question the, for you. Yes? Would you have made the move that the Braves just made? To get Jock Peterson? To get Jock Peterson. They I gave would, up the number 12 prospect in their system. He's a first base prospect, so maybe the Cardinals didn't have that guy that the Cubs would have been interested in. But if you're looking for something similar, uh, the guys in that range in the Cardinals system are Luke and Baker, Malcolm Nunez, and Juan Yepes, who's actually had a really good year for the Cardinals in the minors this year. So one of those guys for Jock Peterson, would you have considered doing that? If I were in the brave spot, yes, because you're four games back. I'm talking about for the Cardinals. Oh, well, you... So for a starting pitcher? No, for a left-handed hitter oh, in the outfielder. Yeah, for sure. In the outfield that because could add a little bit of pop off the Yeah, bench. because your bench stinks. I'm just going to say it. The bench sucks. It, it's hitting like 115 it's on the year. It's poorly. It sucks. I'll just say it. It's not been great. Uh, I, I would I would have made the move for Jack Peterson to give up a 12, 13, 14 prospect. Uh, and if again, if you don't turn things around, then maybe you can flip Peterson again. Do the right. exact same thing that the Braves are doing because – the Braves steal their four games back, and they still have a chance to win the NL East. And again, you're not going to win a wild card spot. You're going to have to win this division. I still think the Cardinals can kind of gain some ground on the Brewers. So, yeah, I would have made a move giving up a mid-level prospect for a Jock Peterson. I think I would have, too. I don't know that the Cubs would have done it. They probably would have said, no, we'd rather have this from the Braves than trading him inside of the division, especially when the Cardinals are getting ready to play them after the All-Star break. So I, I get all of that. There's a lot of disclaimers that would have to go on this, but... If he was available and they were just auctioning off Jock Peterson, which is possible, I think I would have matched that offer that the Braves ultimately gave for him. And by the way, the other thing this does is for the Cardinals, at least the Braves can immediately be crossed off the sellers list because the Cardinals aren't looking for, I wouldn't think somebody to buy at the actual deadline. They probably, if they're going to make a trade, you would have to imagine it's coming sooner rather than later because they need help now Eventually, you're going to get Jack Flaherty back. It might have been if you're, if you're making a trade at the deadline. So two weeks from now, you might have like two weeks before Jack Flaherty gets back. So it's not like you're buying a ton of time there. The, the earlier you do this, the better in terms of the number of starts you're going to be able to get out of that guy. I think you can tra- cross Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley off of the uh, Cardinals wish list now for the trade deadline. And unfortunately, I thought a week ago those guys were had just been added to it. Well, if that was quick, we can go ahead and cross them off now as well. Great. <laughs> I, I, I think that we're going to know more. I think Mo and the Braves are going to have, I think it's going to come down to July 31st. I think that's, it's, year. oh, sorry, July 30th. It's, it's going to come down to exactly on that date. I, I don't think the well, Braves. Well, then they're not making a move. It doesn't make sense for them to make a move at the, on the 30th. At that point, it's too late. Now now you've gotten yourself into a situation where Miles Michaelis and Jack Flaherty are getting ready to come back. So what are you making the but trade the, for? The reason I say that is be, well because I think you're going to need more starting pitching anyway. I don't to me you can't rely on Miles Michaelis. I I don't expect a return from Miles Michaelis. Jack Flaherty I expect I to get do. back to his level. I know they they, see, do. they seem to expect it and so if if they're expecting they ex- it to me they can't I would if I mow, I cannot re- expect that because you expected that coming into spring training what happened? He was hurt. Then you expect him to come back. He comes back, he gets hurt again. 
expect very little from Miles Michaelis, and that's the way you prepare best, in my opinion, if you're the Cardinals. That's your opinion, though. That's not the Cardinals' opinion. I know. So if if they're looking at it through, I, I hear what you're it's, saying. It's, what, to me, that's a mistake. Maybe, but if we're looking at this with Mo's bow tie on here for a second, right? And we're wondering what are the Cardinals vers- going to do versus what should they do? What will the Cardinals do is it appears wait on Miles Michaelis to return because it seems like he's going to. He's he's on his path back right now. The the conversa- or the co- comments the other day from Mike Schilt seem to indicate he believes both Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis will be back in the rotation within the next month or so. If that's how they feel, this team isn't making a trade for a starter on July 30th. If they're going to make a trade, it's got to happen within the next few days. And I don't, I don't think they're making that. a trade. I don't expect that because they sent Woodford down to stretch out. So I expect Woodford to be up in, what, four or five days for that spot? Completely agree. I think they're standing pat in their rotation. Better, better, worse, and different. I think that's what they're going to do. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to dive into the junk drawer. Coming up next, though... The Cubs dynasty, based on what we have just seen, is officially over without ever actually beginning. Looking up, looking back on this, was that a failure for Chicago? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. They're embarrassing. It's done. Start trading, guys. It's over. Just face facts, folks. It's a bad team. They're done. They're finished. It's over. Start the rebuild. That was our guy, Cap, from up in Chicago on ESPN 1000 after the Cubs lost a tough one. That came on June 30th against Milwaukee when the Cubs started the game up 7-0 to and eventually lost the game 15-7. to Well, about two weeks later, the trades have officially begun. The Cubs dynasty that never was is officially over. Jock Peterson was the first to leave, but it sounds like more could soon be following. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. As we look back on this Cubs era, because I think we are officially here in the next couple of weeks going to be talking about the end of it, the finality of it all. I don't know how you could ever look at this as anything but a disappointment. They won the division three times over the course of the last seven years. They went to the World Series once. They did win it, but they went to the World Series just one time in this seven-year stretch. They lost in the wildcard game twice. They missed the playoffs probably after this year, twice in that era as well. This is about as disappointing of an era of baseball for any team that was supposed to be a dynasty as I can think of, honestly, at this point in time. I can't imagine being a Cubs fan today and thinking to myself, man, this was a real success, and I can't believe that we had that much success in this era. Yeah, I'm with you. Very disappointing. I don't know if it goes into failure just because you won the World Series because it ended the 100-plus year uh, Certainly a disappointment. I agree. Very much a disappointment because we talked about when they kind of built this up with uh, Schwarb or Rizzo, Baez, Contreras, that this was going to be a team that would win two to three, maybe hell, maybe four World Series, and it blows up within five years. You get to that World Series, and, I mean, they hit the peak, and then there was no kind of staying even at the peak. It was just, there's the peak, and then you just started to see this quick decline because I think the following year they lose in the playoffs, and then you miss the playoffs. Uh, what you said yeah, they made... It was the NLCS the following year, the wild card, and then missed the playoffs overall. I think it's been a failure since 2016 
When they win the World Series, ever since then, everything that has been done for them has been a failure. The big moves that they have made, they brought in Quintana at one point. That was like their big over-the-top move. That did not work out for them. Their pitching overall has been a disappointment for it. They just didn't ever develop the guys that they expected to. I think it's fair to call it a failure post-2016 and a disappointment overall. And this is some of the pitfalls of building the way that they did. I understand if you're a Cardinals fan that's been frustrated by the way that the Cardinals have built in recent years. Totally get it. That is a fair criticism of the team. But the alternative is building the way that the Cubs did. And yes, they got a World Series out of it. And they went to three NLCSs, and that's that's fun. It's exciting. It's a good time. The problem is what comes after that. Because now we're about to watch what the other side of that version of building looks like. The Cubs are probably going to be bad for the next three to five years at a minimum. And then maybe they go on the upward trajectory once again. But it's that roller coaster ride of emotions where you get three to five years where your your baseball team is completely irrelevant, both locally and nationally. And that's the thing that the Cardinals have just never had to do. We watched it for about a month this year of what bad baseball truly looks like. And all of us hated it. All of us wanted nothing to do with watching that anymore. It was like watching the worst movie you've ever seen in your life, but having to watch it on repeat every night for a month. Now imagine doing that, but instead of for a month, do it for a year and then do it again the following season and again after that. And oh, by the way, those franchise stars that you love so much, they're all playing elsewhere having success. So those guys like Randy or Rosarena that we talk so much about. Yeah. Imagine if it's Nolan Arenado now. And Paul Goldschmidt at the back end of his career competing with the Dodgers. And you've got Colton Wong who moved on. But, you know, Tyler O'Neill, yeah, his his timeline doesn't really match up with the Cardinals anymore. So he's hitting 40 bombs for the whoever Cincinnati Reds now. Like that's the kind of thing that happens when you go into this downward trajectory. And that's what I don't think Cardinals fans would love about the way that the Cubs are building compared to the way that the Cardinals have. So as much as it's been a disappointment um, of late, it's really going to be the next three to five years that are the reasons why I don't think the Cardinals will ever go into this kind of a, a building. Let cycle. me let me ask you this, because John Heyman reported about an hour ago that Chris Bryant, Craig Kimbrell, and other Cubs are on the block. There are signs the Cubs are going to try and lock up Baez and Rizzo. Does that kind of does that kind of keep the door open just no. a little bit more? Because you still have two of the guys that are a part of this uh, franchise altering. I, now, if it was Rizzo and Bryant, maybe I would say that. But even then, it's difficult to sell it because you had what six guys that were kind of the main fact. I'll throw in seven because I'll throw Hayward in there too, even though he wasn't developed in Chicago. But yeah, I, I'm with you. You trade off pieces like this, and it's you don't want to watch it. I mean, like you said, we watched a month of this and this was a team that was supposed to be competing for the playoffs and then watching a year of it would just be dreadful. What's the point of re-signing Chris Bryant? He's 30 years old that next year. So you're, you're going to be bad for the next three the, to five years. I think the point of it, at least I would think, would be that you have someone that you're quote-unquote building around. But you're not because by the time that they're that's good how, again... That's how they would sell it. Yeah, they're they're not actually going to do this. The, the By the time they're good again... Chris Bryant will be at or near the end of his peak. And if if he is no longer in, in his peak, like now you're just getting the bad years where he's super expensive when you're trying to win again. And it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, and then and then it becomes an issue for you as you try to build again. They they shouldn't and I don't think will re-sign Chris Bryant. And that's 
that's how this works. Like when you build the way that they did, you go through the good and then eventually you get to the bad as well. And the the Cubs are about to get to the bad part of it. That, that that's where they're at right now in their in their build. And the worst part for them is that teams know that they basically have to move on from these guys. So you can't drive up the price because they know that you're going to just lose them in free agency. So you're not even getting the best package probably in return as if you were, if you were to move these guys in the off season. Yeah. You, you get nothing in return. You're between a rock and a hard place. All of the cliches that you can ask for, like it, it's, it's not a good spot to be in if you're the Cubs and what they got for everything that they built and all of the hysteria that we had over the years was one world series title. And then a bunch of disappointment ever since then. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, would you consider this deal for the Cardinals? I heard it from Anthony Stalter yesterday. I think my answer is going to be no. But I'll explain why coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Coming up next, we're going to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. feel about making a hundred thousand dollars are you kidding me i'll sign up for a hundred thousand dollars right now Hell don't, yeah, i don't even would. need the rest although what are we doing so you know i'm always looking for ways to make a little extra cash on the side right yeah well right now mccormick the place that makes the seasoning is looking for somebody to be the director of taco relations doesn't sound bad it's a debut position for them and they need anybody that is a lover of tacos to apply. Their tweet says, are you passionate about tacos, finding the latest trends and creating engaging taco content for social media? We are searching for our first ever director of taco relations to McCormick Residence Consulting Taco Expert. You can submit an application and you will be paid $100,000 paid out at $25,000 per month. For, for So for four months of work, you make a hundred grand to talk about tacos for a living. I don't know if there ever in the history of jobs has been anything that is more up my alley than this one. Wait, I don't even have to like taste test tacos. I just got to talk about them. I think it's all of the above. Um, you get to be basically their point man for tacos. So you can make tacos. You could talk about tacos. You can tweet about tacos. Everything wow. in your life is all surrounding tacos. You work remotely. It's 20 hours a week from September through December. This sounds fantastic. And I think me and Ferrario, maybe you if you want to be involved as well, need to submit an application to get involved in this ASAP. I think this is what my entire life has been leading towards. It's a taco, whatever yeah. the title is. A director of taco director relations. Of taco relations. Hundred grand. Oh, I would sign up in a heartbeat. This is- I, although I'm not like a big, I'm kind of a generic taco guy. You know, you got your meat and then you got like lettuce and cheese and then a little bit of hot sauce. That's about it. What no, else do you else. put on tacos? No, you know, you <laughs> sour cream, pico de gallo. I don't need all that. You don't like salsa? Yeah, no, not a fan of it. Not, not, on really? a, not on a taco. I don't think I've ever met anybody in my life that's like, yeah, not a big salsa guy. I, you know, I'd rather have queso. Okay, I could, I could see that. I, I feel like if you don't have the choice and you just get the salsa on your taco, I've never met anybody that's like, nah, hold the salsa. But that's fair. If you could have any one food that you would be the director of blank relations for, what would it be? 
Like if you set this aside, tacos are no longer your option. You're paid a hundred grand to be the spokesperson for this type of food for four months. What would you choose? I think I've said before what my favorite food is, and you guys made fun of it. it it'd be some sort of director of chicken relations or whatever, because I love a good like, like fried chicken, fried chicken, chicken nuggets. Chicken what are we nuggets, talking about here? Just chicken generically, okay. because like I, I love a good chicken breast. I like uh, fried chicken. You got your dino nuggets, which are great. I mean, all those. They're fantastic. Hell, I might get some chicken and make that for lunch. Popcorn chicken. That would be the director one for me. So you're Popeyes. You're the director of Popeyes relations. Yeah. That's what Ooh, we're talking that's about. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then like you come up with different ways to like kind of spice it up for like uh, if you're grilling some chicken. Uh, whether it be a sandwich you're going to make or maybe you're going to smoke You're not it. really selling me on this chicken thing, man. I'm going to be honest with you. You're oh, not really man. selling me on the chicken. Look, there's a reason I'm not in sales. <laughs> not a good salesman. That's Taylor Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, we have a chance for a four, for you to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Cubs. It is going to be featuring an exclusive Scott and Ed Spezio bobblehead the winner must be 21 or older. Tickets are courtesy of Budweiser. For more information on next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash, check out cardinals.com slash promotions. We will have another opportunity for you to win these tickets coming up at 145. But right now, this is your first opportunity to win a four-pack of tickets. Two opportunities today here on BK and Ferrario. The first thing that we need to hear from you, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The sixth texter at 65780. That can tell us what Jeremy Affelt was doing earlier today. What kind of a race was he watching when we talked to Jeremy Affelt earlier today? Wait, am I allowed to play? No. If you can say what kind of a race he was watching as we talked to him earlier today at 65780, the sixth texter with the correct We'll get a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. We'll have another chance for you to win coming up at 145. All you got to do is stay tuned between now and 145 for your chance to win. Coming up next, would you consider this trade for the Cardinals? It might be more of a win later than a win now deal. I think my answer is no, but we'll get your answers on it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 30 minutes or so, we'll play a game of one guy to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. That's coming up at 1.30, You'll have your next chance to win a four-pack of tickets to the Cardinals Budweiser Bash. Right now, so yesterday I was listening to the Fast Lane, and I got to give credit where it is deserved. Anthony Stalter came up with a fascinating hypothetical trade for the Cardinals. He basically said, hey, if the Cardinals end up out of it in the next couple of weeks, and you know the chances are they're going to miss the playoffs this year, would you consider trading Giovanni Gallegos or Giovanni Gallegos type, Giovanni Gallegos, at the deadline for a legit top-end prospect on the pitching side of things? So you're getting a starting pitcher prospect that's very either at or near the big leagues, and what you're giving up is Giovanni Gallegos. Here was his way of describing this yesterday. So you're eight games back now. We're talking three okay. weeks down the road. You're 10-plus games out. Okay. okay. Yes. You know you need starting help, and you know contenders are at least going to call you about your relievers. And you know you need starting help for next year. So I'm talking and about high-end talent. 
Yes. Big league ready. Big league ready. Not, I'm not talking about double-A, oh, restock the farm system. I'm talking about help right now for the second half. Just Because the team needs help Because the team right needs now. help right now, as well as a cost control guy for, for next year. So he brought up the name Tanner Houck, who played at Missouri. He's a fantastic pitcher. He's been really good in the minors. He's uh, in the Boston Red Sox farm system right now. They just called him up. And he's a big-time power arm who's one of the top prospects for them. So whether it be him or somebody like that, that's right on the cusp of making the big leagues, probably on a 40-man roster out there somewhere right now. Danner, I'm curious for your thoughts on this. Would you trade Giovanni Gallegos, who's been nothing short of spectacular for the Cardinals, and would get a massive haul in return because he has a couple of years of club control left for him as well, would you trade him? For a guy that you believe for the rest of this year and for the next six years could be a legit option for you in the rotation. Is that something you would be interested in? It's something I would very heavily consider Uh, just because I I look at bullpens and they're kind of this. You can kind of throw anything into the bullpen and see if it works out. Look at the Giants bullpen. They didn't really develop a lot of guys in their pen. You've got John Brebbia, Dominic Leone. Uh, Jake McGee, who they signed and has become uh, like an all-star caliber closer. I would consider it. I I don't think I would move him. I think I would wait another year because you still have, was it three years of control Mm -hmm. over uh, Giovanni Gallegos? This is be his first year in arbitration. So I would at least wait another year before I would consider it. But if I would at least listen. And if there was something kind of like what you're saying that does blow me out of the water, then yeah, I think I would. The other thing that kind of ties into this is, You've also got a little Libertor and a Thompson in your system. So how close do you think they are to being ready? Again, you were saying uh, this guy could come in and start in the second half of the season for you. Libertor and Thompson probably aren't ready for that. Sure. So, But you're out of it. Do you remember that? The, the reason why you would trade Geo is because, like, you're not trading Geo if you're still in it. Because Geo is a lockdown reliever who you want this year at the end of the bullpen if you're still in it. So you, you'd be making this deal full well acknowledging we're making this not for 2021, but for 2022 and beyond. Yeah, I, I don't think I would because I still, I again, I would wait another year just because I, I really like Giovanni Gallegos and I think he's a great piece. Even if you're out of it, he's someone that I think can help you next year in which the Cardinals are going to go all in, it feels like. So I would hold him this year. Uh, if this was the same conversation next year, then I would consider it. And the other thing, too, to consider about bullpen arms is they just kind of get worn down pretty quickly because it's hard coming into 80 games in a season giving max effort and doing that year after year after year. There's a reason we don't see very many veterans uh, that are established that play really well and they go sign with somebody else. I mean, think of some of the Cardinals' bullpen arms that have kind of fallen off after they were here. You've got Seth Manis, Matt Bowman, Kevin Seacrest, uh, Fernando Salas. I think there was a Sanchez, too, that pitched a lot of innings and then kind of fell off. So I would definitely consider it, but I think I would hold on to him just because he would he's going to be a vital part, especially if Reyes goes into the starting rotation next year. He might be your closer next year, and that's the year that the Cardinals are going to be going all in. Not saying they're not going all in this year, but next year definitely feels like the year that they will be. No chance I'm making this deal. I thought about Zero. it. Zero. No chance. When I heard this from Stalter, I was like, man, that's a really interesting possibility. And it made me think, I'm going to be honest with you guys, but here's why I wouldn't is because I don't know that the Cardinals need a young pitcher next year. I don't think that's what they're missing. I think if you're going to add somebody going into 2022 for your rotation, it's a veteran. It's a Max Scherzer or um, Zach Grinke, somebody on that level where it's an aging guy that can give you innings. 
I don't think that the Cardinals are in need of a young guy that might have high upside. They've got all kinds of those players. I mean, whether it be Dakota Hudson coming back from injury, Alex Reyes, Zach Thompson, Matthew Liberatore, they just took like seven of their top 10 picks in this year's draft or college pitchers that could potentially project to be something similar to what you would get out of a trade like this. I don't think they need that kind of a guy. Going into next year, they're at an innings deficit, and I have no idea what a young pitcher is going to be in the big leagues next year. There's a lot of growing pains that come from that. If we've learned anything this year, it's that. The growing pains are real, and they take a while for these guys to be full peak potential in the big leagues. So I would not trade one of my only established relievers who I can count on next year, who I think very well may be your closer next year. If I think Alex Reyes is going to be in my rotation, that guy that I'm talking about trading Geo for is basically taking that spot for Alex Reyes in my rotation. So I think the answer to this question is actually as simple as what is my plan with Alex Reyes? If my plan is to keep Alex Reyes as my closer and I'm not using him in my rotation next year, I would make this deal because now you have a spot open in your rotation for a young cost controlled stud potential upside pitcher. If you plan to use Reyes in the rotation, though, you don't need that spot. I don't need Tanner Houck or whoever the other guy is that you would potentially add in a trade like this. I would rather have Giovanni Gallegos for the next three years at club control, cheap, efficient, stud back-end reliever before I would make a deal like this. And if you were to move Reyes to the rotation and then you've made this deal with Gallegos, I mean, you've already removed two-thirds of the big three from the bullpen. And as we've seen this year, and again, they've got $60 million coming off the books, so maybe they could add to the bullpen. As we've seen this year, outside the big three, you don't really have a whole lot down there. And then you'd be left with just Hennessy's Cabrera. So, yeah, I- I'm with you. I would still just listen just to kind of see what the offer would look like, especially if I'm out of the race. But it would be very slim that i take it. It would have to really blow me out of the water because he is going to be crucial for this team, not just down the stretch of this year, but also next year when they go all in. Yeah, I, I like the idea from Anthony Stalter because it's an interesting way to look at, okay, how could you buy and sell? You're buying for the the future and honestly kind of in some ways for the now as well while also selling one of your most valuable pieces. If you're looking for the guy on the roster that at the deadline could command the most based on the number of teams that need somebody like him, it very well may be Giovanni Gallegos among the guys that would realistically become or at least somewhat realistically become available because you're not trading Alex Reyes or Flaherty or somebody like like that. So Giovanni Gallegos would probably be that guy that would get you a massive haul in return because of what he does. I just don't think he's the guy that I would be trading for this type of a uh, of a pitcher. What what I'm going to throw this one at you too. So let's say Gallegos is involved in this deal, and we've talked about shortstop. You got to figure out what you're going to have a shortstop this year. If you don't think Paul DeYoung's the answer, and I don't know if you can trade him or not, but let's say Paul, you don't think Paul DeYoung's the answer, and in this Gallegos deal, you can get a a shortstop that you think is going to be a stud and on his way up to the big leagues, plus maybe a starter. That I would consider. consider. That I would consider because you feel. I don't know if he's filled two holes, but the starter maybe. But then you also might fill that shortstop hole. Well, forget this. Forget the starter. Throw that aside. If I can get, if it's a just a shortstop, then that's the main top-end shortstop prospect. That's where I would make this deal. Because we've talked about the market. We don't expect them to really be players in the free agent market, and we've kind of looked around the league, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of guys that yep. make sense and could be good defensively. Then I think it might be something that's kind of really gets Mo really thinking about: should we pull off this deal? That's where you could get me interested in something like this. 
But it'd have to be a position player, and it'd have to be specifically probably a shortstop. Shortstop, maybe an outfielder. If I can get a stud outfield prospect or a stud shortstop prospect. Like, the Gleyber Torres deal for Araldis Chapman, that's the kind of thing that I would need to get in return. How close to, would you want him to be up to the big leagues? AAA level, or do you think you say maybe he I needs another year development? I think that he can get up next year. If, if I believe that he can be in the big leagues, even if it's midseason next year, that's the type of deal that I'd be making. But I need to know he can help contribute on my big league roster by 2022 at the latest. That, that's got to be the way that I would look at this. Yeah, if you could get that for Giovanni Gallegos, that would be something that I would have to consider if I'm John Mosellock because a star shortstop just has more valuable than any bullpen piece, regardless of what they do for me. And I love Giovanni Gallegos, but that's where you start getting me interested. Starting pitching... I just think I'm le- I'm lower on their need for a young starting pitcher next year than I think a lot of people are right now. That's that's the way that I would look at it. So it has less to do with trading Geo or the return that you would get and more to do with the need. I think they have a bigger need at shortstop. And if you want to be kind of looking back at your track record too, you've had a really good track record of developing pitching. Mm-hmm. You haven't had as good a track record developing developing a position player that becomes a star. So maybe you can go pluck that guy from another minor league system, have faith you're going to develop another starter or another bullpen arm that can fill Gallegos' spot. That's a good point. I, I think it would. if you throw in a shortstop, then I would probably – make that deal with Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We'll play a game of one got to go. Six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go, but coming up next, is there a chance, any chance that next year becomes a transition year for the blues? I certainly think they hope not. We'll talk about it next though on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. For the dominoes to fall correctly here, do you think the the Tarasenko move will coincide with everything else? I think that Doug has to take care of that first and then everything else following that. Because the $7.5 million or whatever you can get off of your salary cap helps you recognize what your offer can be for a Landis Cog or an offer sheet or yeah. what you can maybe offer a Matthew Kachuk after you trade for him, something like that. That was Jamie Rivers yesterday on the fast lane. Found it really interesting how he said basically the first domino that has to fall for the Blues this offseason is Vladimir Tarasenko. It's hard to disagree with that assessment. Now, that doesn't mean it's the first thing that's going to happen, but his salary coming off of the books is what makes everything else possible. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll get into one guy to go coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But I think the thing that makes me a little bit queasy about this offseason is how much we've how much attention we've given to Matthew Kachuk and Gabriel Landeskog and the reason why I say that is because Kachuk's future is basically in the hands of a franchise that I don't trust it's kind of like when the Cardinals were in a situation where they they really wanted Nolan Arenado and I think the first time this was the case was 2019 and they started calling, calling, calling they were dealing with an incompetent franchise franchise Colorado's incompetent they were And you eventually get to the point where it's like, man, we're not dealing with rational actors here. They know that they're not going to be able to keep Nolan Arenado long-term. They don't even want to keep Nolan Arenado long-term, but they're having this crazy price that we would have to pay in order to bring him here to St. Louis. I fear that the same thing might be true for Calgary. I don't know what their plans are, but they very well may say, you know what? Bleep you. We're not sending you Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, he might leave in two years, but... Maybe even next year, he de- we decide to trade him to you. But we're not doing that a year early. And then with Gabriel Landeskog, 
he's been in Colorado his entire career. He's their captain. He is a hugely important piece to what they're building. And I know they've got cap questions and they've got a lot of guys that they've got to resign. But it's very easy for me to imagine a scenario where at the 11th hour, they find a way to get a deal done. And if both of those things happen, which are both very realistic this offseason, we're bleeped. Then what for the Blues, right? That's that's where the big question comes in of, okay, where do you pivot? What's the pivot point for the Blues? And I'm sure Doug Armstrong has something out there that would be available. Maybe it's, you know what, we're going to focus on depth. That's what they won the Stanley Cup with. Maybe they go back to that. And Brandon Saad becomes available. They bring back Jaden Schwartz. They're able to go out there because they saved a little money compared to Kachuk or Landeskog. And they get a top four defenseman as well. Maybe that's the play. And it might work. Or maybe 2021-2022, this upcoming season, becomes a little bit of a transition year. And that's the thing that I fear. I don't think that that would be the... That would not be in their plans. But if things don't go according to plan, that's when the transition year becomes a little bit more realistic. And in the middle of the primes for Shin and O'Reilly and Pareko and Justin Falk and Bennington... You can't really afford to have those kinds of transition years right now in year four of the five-year window that they've talked so much about. So they've got to have some pivot points, and that's what I may be most interested in finding out where Doug Armstrong turns is if these don't work out for him. If Kachuk and Landeskog aren't options, then what? That's going to be an interesting thing to see from uh, Doug Armstrong. Yeah, and I don't get the sense—I could be wrong, but I don't get the sense that— Army's going to take this year as a transition year if plan A and B fail. It, I don't I don't get that sense because he keeps talking about how the cup window's open mm-hmm. and a transition year kind of feels like a waste of one of those cup window years. I should clarify. I'm not saying they're going to be bad. The, no, no, the no, team's no, I, already I too that. good to be that. bad. I don't know that they'll be cup contenders. They'll and be a I, team I think that that's... gets in and then you just go from there and see if – Best case scenario, you can maybe get to the cup. Maybe you get hot, Bennington gets hot, and you go on a run. That's kind of what we're talking about. Last year's Cardinals, where you get in, and it's like nobody really actually believes they're going to be able to do anything once they're in, but they make make the playoffs, right? That kind of a thing. Yeah, that that would be the type of transition year, if you will, that they would go into potentially. Yeah, and I don't think – I just don't think Army would do that because he's talked about the cup window is still open. I believe the cup window is still open. And a transition year doesn't close the cup window – at all maybe in fact it could possibly extend it because then you may get a bigger piece the following year but i'm with you you kind of waste some of the prime of some of your key guys and o'reilly pareko i'll even throw kind of bennington into that conversation um so i don't think army would do it i don't know what plan c is maybe it's a brandon sod maybe it's a jane schwartz maybe you look more for depth rather than the big fish but i i don't think the blues will take this year as a transition year if they strike out on Landeskog or kachuk I don't think so either. I, I think they would try not to at least, but the timing of it is what could make it really difficult because if you're not able to get a Tarasenko deal done now, if it takes a little while longer than expected, if you keep trying this Kachuk thing and it takes a little while longer than expected and now you're into day two or three of free agency, you're waiting on Landeskog to make a decision. He finally does. He ends up signing with the Colorado Avalanche and now you look around and all of the free agents that you wanted have now signed elsewhere. That's the risk you take by trying to get one of these big fish. You're wait, you're at the mercy of their decisions. If they decide not to come here, well, now what? That's kind of like the Cardinals last offseason. They basically put all of their eggs into the Nolan Arenado basket. 
And if the Rockies balked at that, if they ended up deciding, nope, we're keeping Nolan Arenado, you you f- figure it out, go chase yourself. Now what? The Cardinals, it was too late. They couldn't have gone out there and found anything else. Maybe they get a Jonathan Scope. Maybe they go out and they Millsy. put that money towards um, uh, who was the one, the pitcher, that Jake Odorizzi. Maybe they, they put some money towards that, and maybe it would have ended up working out okay. Who knows? But that's what the risk is of you chasing these big-time free agents, the big-time trades. If it doesn't work out, now you have potential issues because we've got some texts coming in. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, plan C might be Zach Hyman or bringing back Jaden Schwartz. Maybe. What if that fails? What if, and not even what if they, that fails, what if you're in day three before Landeskog signs, he finally signs, and those guys are already off the board? They went off on day one. They got big-time offers from somebody. They asked the Blues if they wanted to match, and the Blues couldn't because they were still waiting for Landeskog, so they wouldn't have had the money available. There's just there's a lot of moving pieces in a situation like the Blues are in right now. And then the other thing, too, is if, okay, if we fail in free agency, now it's, then the plan might be, well, now we got to go explore the trade market. Yep. And then at that point, the team knows you're kind of desperate, and it's kind of what we talked about with the Cardinals when the Flaherty injury occurred. Teams know you're desperate, so they're going to drive up the price. So you may have assets that you want to keep, like your first-round pick maybe this year, a Robert Thomas if you think he's going to bounce back. But if you strike out and fail on Alanis Gagasad, Schwartz, all these guys that we're talking about, and then you do have to go to the trade market, and let's not even have Kachuk's name on here because Kachuk's already been told you're not getting them. You have to go find someone on the trade market, and you probably have to overpay, and you probably have to give them more assets than you'd be willing to. But if you don't do it, then you're really screwed heading into the regular season. Let's do some Blues weekend predictions because this is a big weekend for the Blues. We're 24 hours now away, basically 26 hours, I guess, away from the Blues officially submitting their protected list. Do you think anything will happen with Vladimir Tarasenko in the next 24 hours? Do you think we get any sort of a resolution to that side of things? I don't. I don't think we're going to get anything till till after the expansion draft for Vladdy. And I don't know if that – I think it's just because I, I think there's less of a market than we think for Vladimir Tarasenko. So I'm going to say no. I don't think so either. I'm so interested in finding out if he's protected or not. Sunday when we find out what the protected lists are, I have no idea. I don't even have a lean on this. I really don't. I don't know where Doug Armstrong is, if he would like to see Tarasenko selected in this draft or he, if he wants nothing to do with Tarasenko selected. I think that all comes down to what his conversations are with other teams right now. So I think if Tarasenko is pr- protected, I think we will then know Army feels really good that he's got a strong deal available for, for Tarasenko, and it will make me feel more confident that they're not going to be in this spot where 2021 is going to be a transition year. If he goes unprotected, that's when I think we could start talking about, okay, the trades might not be out there for Tarasenko the way that they longer. expected them to. It could take longer for that one. The money might be tied up a little bit longer. Now we got to start seriously talking about Landis Gog as being the only real guy available to the Blues this offseason. There was a report out there earlier today. It may, I think it may have been Andrew Strick- Strickland that had it, that Boston's no longer in on the conversations. Mm-hmm. And that, that could one, change at any moment. I mean, it though. could change, but and that one kind of makes sense because we've talked about it. They've got Taylor Hall, uh, they've got the goalie Tuka Rass, and there's someone else that they've got to resign their UFAs. But that was one of the teams that we said might be one of the best fits for Vladimir Tarasenko. So we're already kind of starting to see a little bit of that domino start to fall towards 
okay, it's going to be a lot tougher for a trade to occur for Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, uh, earlier today, if you missed it, JR was on with us. He said that potential landing spots that he thinks are the most likely for Tarasenko seem to be the Rangers, Islanders, and Washington. And you could have a three-team trade that it w- that involves any of those as well. So that's something worth considering. The other question for you as we're finishing up with our Blues predictions here, do you think Vince Dunn will get traded or exposed in the expansion draft in the next 24 hours. Because those are the only two options. I do not think there's any scenario in which he is completely uh, protected in this draft. I, I agree. I don't think he's going to be protected in the draft. I think he's going to get exposed. I don't I don't see a trade coming before the expansion draft I for the Blues. I, I, I just don't. I We haven't really heard much reports of anything really building towards that. And like you said, we're about 24 hours away from when the lists have to be submitted. Though people view Vince Dunn as maybe an asset. I just don't know. I feel like the Blues asking price for Dunn is a little higher than we think. So, Which is weird because if the asking price is too high and other teams aren't willing to meet it, well, you might just lose him for nothing. Yeah. It's so like your option is getting nothing in return via the trade because nobody's willing to meet your demands. But if you were willing to lower it, I it, it's surprising to me that they're, they're asking if that is true, that they're asking too much for him. I tend to agree. I think they're going to expose him. And I think that's the guy that ends up getting selected. It's always made the most sense from their side and from Seattle side. I just always kind of assumed he was going to get traded for a first round pick beforehand. But now that we're getting right up against it, I don't think that's going to be the case. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page presented by I Promise. It is on 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll have your next chance to win a four-pack of tickets to the Budweiser Bash on Tuesday night. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. One got to go next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Air Comfort Service text line for one got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. And we this week includes Brad Barnes from the Fast Lane. What's going on, man? It's good to be in here. Good to be in here. Let's play a game with one got to go. You know the rules for this? Uh, Yeah, you guys did not steal this segment from us, but I know it well. (laughs) No, we did not. Wow. That was the segments you didn't steal. Uh, One's got to go ice cream edition. Rocky Road. Okay, okay. Mint chocolate chip. Oh, never. Classic vanilla. Oh, really? Or moose tracks. One Which out of the one's four gotta go. has to go. One's got to go out easy. of the four. It's easy. It's the vanilla. That is so plain, so basic. We have this conversation with Jamie Rivers and BT all the time. If you have to put other things on it to make it taste good, it's not a good ice cream. So you're wrong kind of on this that. one. No, I'm not. No, he's not. That's Mint chocolate answer. chip is disgusting. What? What? It's that might not be the good. best. Uh, no, it's the refreshing. Best you get the chocolate fix if you no. like that. It's perfect for the summer. It's light. How much, I don't how need mint in my ice cream. If I want mint, I'm going to have some chewing gum. I will get the flavor of mint with the chewing gum. I don't need that in my so ice cream. So let's just eat some plain, tasteless... Vanilla, vanilla has flavor. No, it doesn't. It absolutely does. So yeah. a couple months back, we had Ted Drews brought to the uh, the stations mm-hmm. here. Tons of like little single Guess serving Ted Drews. 
You took home the vanilla. I took home the vanilla. Last week. You know which one was last in the break room? Vanilla. Exactly. So Stalter and I both have a really bad ice cream fix, and we talk about this. There is ice cream left in the freezer from that day. It's only the strawberry and the vanilla because the chocolate was all taken. The chocolate chip was all taken because those are right-minded people. I didn't say that chocolate chip's bad. I didn't say the chocolate's bad. I said mint chocolate chip is bad, which is very different. Vanilla is the worst. (gasps) What do you got to go? Comedian edition. Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn. Adam Sandler or Steve Carell. If you get rid of this guy, their entire catalog is gone. Their entire movie catalog forever will never be back. Farrell, oh, Vaughn, Sandler, Carell. Which one's got to go? Tanner, we'll start with you. I think I'm going to lean towards Vince Vaughn. I'm not going to get rid of Steve Carell. Will Ferrell. So you're getting no. rid of Dodgeball and Wedding Crashers. Yeah, I can two of the it. two of the best of the 2000s. Have you ever seen either of those movies? I've Let's seen clarify Dodgeball. here. I've not, I've not seen Wedding Crashers. I guess I should. You probably Do you know don't care. Uh, Rudy, he was in Rudy as well. I don't know that Steve, one. Steve, Vince Vaughn was in Rudy. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. I think he was a defensive end. Really? In the movie? For some reason, I have no recollection His of brother. this. That's what the. With the source in the glass windows. I, think, tell I thought me. he was on the Notre Dame team huh. already. For some reason, I never, I never realized yeah. that. Yeah, no, I'll get rid of Vince Vaughn. Okay. What about you? <sighs> I think he's the right choice, but man, old school is like, or not old school, excuse me. Wedding Crashers is like one of my favorite it's a movies. Great one. Um, so it's tough to do. But if I get rid of Steve Carell, I'm getting rid of The Office. Don't you dare! And that seems completely unnecessary. Um, I think it's got to be Vince Vaughn because I'm getting rid of fewer things in the catalog right, that right. I really care about deeply. Will Ferrell and Adam Sandler just went on an unbelievable run where it was like hit after hit after yeah. hit for like six years. I can't, I can't get rid of those guys. Will Ferrell for me, Adam Sandler, I, I know he's not the best actor. I know some of his movies aren't the best, but they just hit me right for some reason. It's just maybe it's the nostalgic factor. I don't know. Vince Vaughn, by the way, was the Notre Dame quarterback. Apparently he's the quarterback. Okay. Um, I'm honestly not the biggest Will Ferrell fan. Really? There, I mean, like, like uh, Step Brothers, fantastic, old school, fantastic, and that would eliminate him and Vince Vaughn. By the way, yeah. I honestly, I can't do it. I'll go Talladega with you guys. I, I'm, with, I'm Vince I mean, Vaughn he's just here. Got so many t- Will Ferrell is a close second for me, though. That's fair. I, I think Will Ferrell has a little more hits than than what you're leading on. I, I think if you got rid of it, you would realize like the next week. Like, Damn, I right. got rid of that movie? Yeah, <laughs> he's got some good movies. They're just, I'm not as big of a fan as most people are. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's gotta go. One gotta go song edition. Don't Stop Believing. Okay. Sweet Caroline. Oh, bum, bum, bum. Okay. Bohemian Rap- Rhapsody. Oh, goodness. Golly. Or Living on a Prayer. Oh, Don't Stop Believing. One. Sweet Caroline, Bohemian Rhapsody, or Living on a Prayer. One's got to go. Tanner's Music Edition, basically. Tanner, which <laughs> one's got to go? I do enjoy all four songs. Let's see. I think Bohemian Rhapsody's got to stay. That's a classic. Living on a Prayer's good. Is this the wedding mixtape? Is that it what this like is? It feels like it is, yeah. Sweet Car- what was the other one? Sweet Caroline. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the fourth one I'm missing? Did you say Don't Stop Believing? I think Living that's on a Prayer. Now. Living on a Prayer's good. I think I got to get rid of Sweet Caroline. Really? I can oh. nail that song in, a, in That's karaoke. That's a banger, man. Yeah. But I love Don't Stop Believing. I love Living on a Prayer. And Bohemian Rhapsody is such a classic. I, I think I can live without Sweet Caroline. So mm. I'll get rid of that one. I feel like Bohemian, Rap- Bohemian Rhapsody is a very specific 
setting for when you want to hear yep. that. Like a wedding is not probably the time. A party is like if you're driving in the car on a road trip, that's the time you want to belt it out. I think I'm going to ditch that one, though. I think that's what I'm going with as well. The other three, you can play at basically any setting yeah. and you're going to get a good group of people. Everybody knows them. I think Bohemian Rhapsody is probably the one out of these four that I would go with for sure to go. All right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for One's Gotta Go. One Gotta Go Personal Hygiene Edition. Oh, no. A toothbrush, toilet paper, deodorant, or a haircut slash shave. Toothbrush, yeah, toilet paper, oh, How long are we talking here? Is this or haircut forever? shave. You never get them again. They're gone. Gone forever. It's not one got to go for a little while. It's one's got to go. <laughs> Tanner, oh, which one no. are you going with? So give me the options again. We've got toothbrush, toilet paper, deodorant. Those are your first three. Or you're never able to get a haircut slash shave ever again. I know I'm probably going to get backlash for this because I got backlash for getting rid of a toilet last time. Because one's got to go. Get rid of toilet paper, man. Oh, yeah. I, I think you need what deodorant. are you using? Just getting, you know, a little spray up wet there. Wet wipes? Yeah, wet wipes. I feel disgusted using the same board as you right now. <laughs> can we can we get somebody to clean this entire room? I, I think well, I'd man, I wouldn't that. feel good about any of these, no, frankly. Yeah, no, I don't feel good about it, but I, I want to keep toothbrush. want to keep... Uh, I think it's got to be deodorant. I, That's the one that I would go with. Deodorant was one I was close to, but like... It ain't going to be great. Don't Heart, get me wrong. I'm not going right. to feel good about myself after doing it. You can at least wash your armpit. Heart, like, yeah. Heart for this guy in the single life showing up on his first day without a nice little deodorant with a nice uh, smell. Think I feel it. like you got, you, you're getting married. You got a girlfriend. But you've had those days where like you get to work and you're like, oh, no, I forgot deodorant. You, you can, can make least, it through. You can, yeah, you can do things to get by. The haircut is interesting to me. I could go without the haircut. Oh, I can't do but that. But I got to keep the neck shaved because like... You, if you wear, uh, you know, like a quarter zip or something, a hoodie, you get your neck beard caught in it. I, I don't. I've never had that problem. Someday, buddy. Never you'll you'll get there someday. I don't know. If no, I'll he won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, he won't. Well, you and BT are in the same group then. But that's close. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go deodorant. You can, you can get by. You can figure it out. Toilet paper, you can go with a bidet. Although you do kind of have to wipe uh, around a little bit. They don't have bidets everywhere. What if that's you're a in good a pinch? Point. No pun intended. You're in a pinch. You got you got a pinch. You, you got to go pinch. somewhere. You went on a run and you're stuck. You're and you are about a mile away from the nearest toilet and you need your fiance to come pick you up to be able to take you to that place. Total hypothetical. Hypothetical scenario right. that maybe somebody probably has been in before. Huh. If you're in that senet, you're in that setting and you can't use the toilet paper. Yeah, you're screwed. Yeah. That's a good point. Luck. Meanwhile, if you just didn't have the deodorant, yeah, you smell whenever that scenario came up, but at least yeah. you can use the toilet paper. You can go after shower you're later and you'll smell okay. That's right. Yeah, I think deodorant's the answer here. All right, one's got to go technology edition. Smartphone, laptop, tablet, or smart TV? Your smartphone, your tablet, your laptop, or your smart TV, which one's got to go, Barnes? This, this is easy. It's the tablet. I'm I don't, with you. I don't own a tablet. Uh, the smart TV would have been up there for me. So the laptop and the phone, we, we use these every day for work. I can't live without those. Uh, the smart TV, though, just recently in our household, have we hooked, like, the Netflix and everything up where it works yeah. normally and, like, it goes with each TV in every room? That is a game changer. It's that amazing. Is so nice having that. The we Roku just got whatever, one too. You know, <laughs> so great. Yes, you're like you're you're living the good life at that point. Yeah, I think it's a tablet too because you can do everything on a tablet that you can do on your phone or your laptop. Like I watch Netflix on my laptop. I used to have an iPad. Now I don't even have that. I sold it. I 
literally got six five seven eight zero zero comfort service text line. I would be curious the answer to this. How often are people using tablets now? Is it still a big thing the way that it was when they first came out? Or do you think those are kind of becoming a little less and less popular? I think the tablets have become like a a child accessory. Like the parents have their iPads or their Kindles, whatever it is. And it's like an easy way for them to let the kids play games or keep the kids occupied. And they don't have to worry about them calling or sending an email to somebody who knows what. I feel like you need one of either a tablet or a laptop. And I think you can do more on the laptop. So it, it yeah. just seems to be more more usable, frankly. If you've got the fat fingers like I do. Typing on a tablet doesn't work. All right, one's got to go ballpark food. We'll get a couple more oh, of these oh, before we get to the crossover. One got to go ballpark food. Hot dog, cheeseburger, nachos, or pretzels with cheese. One's got to go. Tanner, I know this is right up your alley. Mm. Hot dog, cheeseburger, nachos, or pretzel with cheese. I think I'm going to go ballpark food. I think I'm going to go with cheeseburger. I don't know if I've ever really had a good cheeseburger at a ballpark when I'm thinking about it. Going to it. the wrong places. I've been, to 15, so I've been to 15 Major League Baseball ballparks. How many times have you got the cheeseburger? Clearly not enough. Wow, <laughs> Might be a good point. I don't know if I've ever actually gotten a cheeseburger at a ballpark. I, I think I'm going to get rid of it for now. Hot dog's right up there with it, though, because I'm not sure I've ever had a good hot dog from a ballpark either. What? What? Am I not? Are you? What a, Where are you going? Any hot dog at a ballpark is good. <laughs> Get I have never here. had a bad hot dog at a ballpark. Oh, I have, and it was the last time I went to a ball game. My God, I'm so Although disappointed. It wasn't Bush. It was a minor every day. I, it's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> What are you going with, Barnes? This is obvious. It's the pretzel with cheese. I'm totally what? with you on this one as well. Yeah, no I'm shot. totally with you. If I go to a game, I'm going to be having a couple of beers and a little teeny Beer tiny pretzel, go pretzel together with perfectly. cheese is not going to do anything to soak up that beer, Tanner. Nope. Get past your first year of drinking and you'll learn how this <laughs> goes, buddy. We got we to gotta fill the stomach. You get a hot dog. You get a hamburger. You're going to feel a little bit hungry towards like the seventh inning. That's when you get the nachos in there. That's right. You got to plan this out. You got the you got the nachos. You get some extra jalapenos on there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you've got options with nachos. You can go with the pulled pork nachos. You can go with the classic, just the chips with the cheese. There's not a lot of options on a cheeseburger. There's I, zero options with pretzels cheese. I, Literally zero but options. It's a perfect combo. What do you get when you go to a brewery? You get a beer and you get some pretzels at with beer brewery, cheese. At a brewery. I'm in a ball game. That's I want different. stuff I can use in my hand, not some pretzel I got to dip into stuff and do all no what? last one for you guys another food one because we got barnes in studio this is what the text line gave us to work with all right six five seven eight oh zero comfort service text line one gotta go appetizer edition mozzarella sticks he said what do you mean and then he goes "Ooh, right <laughs> <laughs> mozzarella oh, sticks buffalo wings oh, nachos or spin dip Oh, man. Mozzarella sticks, buffalo wings, nachos, or spin dip. Which one's got to go appetizer edition? I'm going to be that guy because some of these you can get as an entree as well. So does that mean if I eliminate it as an appetizer? Oh, it's just a question. It's gone, wow. man. It's a question. I just want to clarify. That's like, a, that's like the chicken fingers, right? You've right. got the chicken finger appetizer that gets three or the chicken finger meal with five of them. No, it's it's gone. This is maybe which the most. Which one of these would you get as a meal? I guess buffalo wings. Buffalo wings, nachos. nachos maybe. That's I mean, fair. Uh, mozzarella sticks sometimes? No. Uh, I am going to get rid of the spinach dip. Spinach dip is amazing. But again, it's kind of a, a rare situation when you're eating that. A Super Bowl party, sure. graduation party, something like that. But the others, I'm going to get those all the time. Mozzarella sticks? No. Can't live without that. I would get rid of spinach dip because I'm not big on spinach. But if I if 
Honestly, I don't like two of them on here. Spinach dip one because I hate spinach. I hate mozzarella sticks. How? I hate. I what hate is like. Wrong I with hate you? like cheese that's melted and like real stringy. I can't do it's it. It's fried that's cheese, Taylor. <laughs> what is there not to like? Gross. Literally bread with, and what? cheese with mozzarella. Yeah, with like no. crumbled Parmesan cheese on top. I can't of it. do it. My every time we go somewhere, everybody's oh like, "Oh, you want to get yeah. mozzarella sticks?" I'm like, "You can get them. I'm not touching those things." You do you like ravioli? Like I like cheese ravioli. ravioli. No, no, not just cheese ravioli. If it's got like meat in it, then sure. But like, I can't handle just like pure fried cheese with breading. Oh my! God. And mozzarella in uh, not mozzarella. What about like a, a fried macaroni ball or something like no. that? Can you no? no. Can't do it. What? I I can't even stand having like, x amount of cheese on my pizza. Grilled cheese. I can do a grilled cheese, but I don't want a lot of cheese on it. The lighter what? the lighter the cheese, <laughs> the better I'm the so grilled cheese. With him. I'm so done. With I'm him. going nachos. Actually, really? as an appetizer, I'm good on the nachos as an appetizer. Now, if I'm at a ball game, I'm more than happy to have them as a meal. Yeah. But as an appetizer prior to my meal, I would rather have mozzarella sticks, buffalo wings or spin dip before my meal than nachos. The nachos can hearty. be messy. Like if you're with a group of four or five yeah. people, that's a lot. If it's, you know, you and the girlfriend, you and the wife, whatever. That's a different story. But I, OK, I can see that. I see that. The praise for Tanner coming in from all walks of life. God, Tanner, you suck. This is why you're single. What's wrong with this guy? Is Tanner even from America? Man, I'm getting called Tanner, out Tanner, no woman is ever going to give you a chance if you don't like mozzarella well, sticks. Look, you don't That's mention that like on the, one of the first top date. Rules. Of course you do. No, you don't. That's like 10th date right there. Gosh. With Brad Barnes and Come Tanner on. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll give you your final chance for this week on our show to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash, and we'll cross things over with the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by I Promise. Crossing things over here just a second with Brad Thompson in the fast lane. But right now, we've got your final chance for us today to win a four pack of tickets to the next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Cubs. You must be 21 or older. Tickets are courtesy of Budweiser. The way you do it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are texter number six and you know what we talked about earlier today in the junk drawer, it was a a new job opportunity for me. I can make $100,000 to talk about what? What do I need to talk about? If you have that answer, uh, you can text it in right now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Texter number six will win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. Crossing things over now with Brad Thompson, who is out at Ballpark Village on a beautiful day here in St. Louis, BT. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Is it Peroni's disease? Is that what it is that you talk about for $100,000? I wasn't listening earlier. Did yep. I get it? Yep, that was it. Uh, basically, right. yeah, you're, you're on the right path here, uh, okay. BT. BT, are we going to play this game tonight? Yeah, of course we're going to play. Actually, the, the radar looks a heck of a lot better. We're, we're downtown at Ballpark Village right now. The sun's out. It's not raining. People are walking around. Uh, an awful lot of Giants fans down here already, actually. Seen them uh, creeping around. Well, Anthony Stalter's wearing his full uh, old-school jersey here. Makes so. sense. Uh, you know, erroneous, erroneous on all accounts. He just took I'm off. wearing Cardinal red. 
yeah, as an undershirt. Oh, no, that's right. It's a Sharks jersey. First jersey. Either way, guys, uh, we are, uh, we're, we're ready to rock and roll. We're playing tonight. This is going down. Hey, uh, question for you, BT. You didn't play with Jeremy Affelt in KC, did you? I did not. Okay. We, we talked with him earlier today. That dude's apparently uh, opening up a brewery in, in Texas. That's my kind of guy. As we were uh, talking with him, he was in Wyoming where he was watching something called a bed race where apparently they put like a mattress on top of wheels, basically, and you've got two people on either side and they just try to race down the street with this bed on 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 limbs, essentially. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> I, I think that's something that Team Fastlane, we could get together and we, we dominate some sort of a mattress race. I think we could do that. I feel like you guys would beat uh, the Rizzuto show at the very least. I don't know. At this point, look, you're bringing up a sore subject here. Maybe we'd end up beating them in this, but uh, we've thought that before. I don't know. But that sounds like fun. I've d- I used to do a thing uh, back in high school. We got these things called mountain boards, basically like skateboards, but they have big wheels on them and shocks, and you just take them in the mountains. They were nuts, and it kind of sounds like this. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, BT, what's you. coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? Look, all kinds of good stuff. Well, we're going to break down the Cardinals. We're going to tell you why they're going to be awesome in this second half. Uh, and Matt Holliday is going to tell us how you hit a guy that throws a split finger and also throws 97. He'll be at 230. <laughs> yeah, I hope he has the answers because the Cardinals didn't for about six and a half innings in the first game uh, against Gossman. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back on Monday at 11. Alex Ferrario will be back in studio with us. We'll talk with you then on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I promise. Um, who are you? I'm you from the future. What do you want? I want to tell you about Dave. Dave has your future money. Spend it on whatever you need with extra cash from Dave. You can get up to 500 bucks instantly with no interest and no credit check. Download the Dave app from the app store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDIC.